New to Medicare? Go to MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, you can compare plans from some of the nation's top insurers. Start now to find a plan and apply online. MyHealthPolicy.com makes it easy to find a Medicare Advantage plan in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. My decision, my Medicare, MyHealthPolicy.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's guest stars on Monday Night Raw can be seen in the new movie, The Muppets, which opens in theaters everywhere November 23rd. Please welcome at this time, The Muppets, Kermit the Frog, and Miss Piggy! Kermit the Frog here, and you're listening to episode 44 of Tony A! No, 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 no Muppets on this show. Sorry. Even though it happened this week in 2011, no Muppets. Sorry. What's up, everyone? Episode 44 of This Week in Wrestling History, and if it's episode 44, that means it's week 44 of the year. Only have eight weeks left in the year. So I hope you're enjoying these episodes. This week, we got a whole boatload of clips to share. So many that I actually had to remove about 10. I kid you not. And when you hear some of the moments later and some of you are going to be like, oh, no audio of memory. Trust me, there's so much to get into this week. Um, we covered a period of October 30th through November 5th. And let's get right into it. 1985, my favorite episode of saturday night's main event of all time favorite episode was my favorite episode when it first aired even though i think it was only three episodes at the time that this taped but still to this day i go back and i watch it i watch my original vhs copy because i'm sorry it just the original music is just so much better i mean when you have terry funk come out in the beginning and he's talking about beating up the junkyard dog and he spits the tobacco juice in the camera you got the exorcist theme playing in the background just so much cooler than the garbage music that wwe piped over on the network then you talk about the matches you know they weren't all that spectacular funk versus junkyard dog was somewhat comedic especially after um junkyard dog ripping off jimmy hart's pants and then trying to brand them and you realize that the branding iron was just basically ink (laughs) which was pretty funny piper's pit hillbilly jim uncle elmer cousin jr you 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 oh man i hated the fucking hillbillies hillbilly jim i tolerated to a certain extent never liked cousin jr despised uncle elmer it wasn't anything personal but man did they suck you had hulk and andre versus bundy and stud and at this time they were still friends their wrestlemania match between the two didn't take place for another year and a half about at least and then you know some of the other matches as i said funk versus junkyard dog um Randy Savage over Tito Santana, the Kung Fu Challenge, Steamboat defeats Mr. Fuji and is attacked by Morocco after, and all the Halloween skits. Seriously. First, well, first we had Piper's Pit. Uh, he's interviewing the Hillbillies. You know, all I remember is the fucking hat on the floor. You, 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 as he stopped it. I fucking hated the Hillbillies. 
Hillbilly Jim, I tolerated a little bit. I'll be honest with you. Like, I enjoyed watching him get his ass kicked on TV. I wasn't a big fan of Tom. I grew as a fan with Hillbilly Jim as the years went by. Uncle Elmer and Cousin Junior. Honestly, if someone dared me to lick a piece of my shit, I probably would have done that over watching Uncle Elmer and Cousin Junior matches. If they never appeared on TV ever again, I would have been perfectly fine with it. You know, people have said to me over the years, like, who did you absolutely despise growing up in wrestling? Not booed, at, you know, as a heel, to a heel, but just despised, didn't want on your TV. Two, those are two. And there are others, but we'll leave that alone right now. The broadcast premiere of Land of a Thousand Dances. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard that song but that WWF put out. You got to watch the music video. The music video just makes it so much fun, funner. And funner? So much more fun. Yeah, that's the right way. It's early, everyone. I do these very, very early on a Saturday morning. You know, I try to get a head start for the day. And um, But go check out that music video if you've never seen it. Then you got the skits uh, for Halloween, the pie-eating contest with Lou Albano and uh, King Kong Bundy. You also had that that bobbing contest, uh, pumpkin bobbing. You know, we usually bob for apples. They were doing it for pumpkins. Bobby Heenan versus Cousin Junior. The, uh, oh, there's one and I'm forgetting right now. The pumpkin pass, the jit gel rag came out around that time. I kid you not, you know, it's, you know, being a 14, 15 year old at the time and Miss Elizabeth wearing the, that leopard outfit. And then you have the camera near the floor. So you get a nice view of her ass Man, as a kid, that was just awesome. <laughs> and, you know, there was other things. And, we, you know, we can't forget my, probably my favorite skit of all, Roddy Piper in his house, and he's got the kids coming over for trick-or-treating, and he's got bowling balls, and he eats something that was hot, and he has he drinks the water from a, from a flower pot. And Vince McMahon obviously laughing uncontrollably for real. It was just funny, funny skit. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And, you know, a little trivia question for everybody out there. You know, when was Stephanie McMahon's first ever appearance in WWF TV? And if you've actually followed some of the interviews that she's done most recently with Chris Jericho on his podcast, she said that her at... uh, um, with Steve Austin was her first ever appearance. Now, she may have worded it as a first appearance on Monday Night Raw, but basically what had happened was that night, I believe, is when Austin was crucified on Undertaker's logo. Earlier in the night on Raw, on, uh, Austin was looking for Undertaker, and he was backstage with a shovel, and he walked past a woman and, and said, do you know what the Undertaker is? And she says, no, sir, I don't. That was Stephanie. That was her first appearance, but... I have been told not too long ago, and I'll be honest with you, I never, every time I say I'm going to go do the research and confirm it, I haven't. But apparently one of the girls that showed up at Roddy Piper's house in that skit uh, in the costumes was in fact Stephanie. So there you go. My favorite episode of all time was Saturday Night's Main Event. It was just, it was just like I said, it's just reeks of 80s, a lot of your legends, a lot of funny skits, a lot of corny stuff, some decent wrestling mixed in with it. Nothing outstanding, nothing tremendously memorable, but I loved it. Speaking of something else that I absolutely loved, when this came out in 88, I fucking loved it. I loved all the subliminal messages. At the time, people thought it was, uh, you know, it's it's a wrestler in a film. That's what a lot of people looked at as, as far as they live. 
starting Roddy Piper. This week in 1988, it was released in movie theaters. I've always wanted to pull the Cisco and Eberts at the movies when they used to do those back in the day. I always wanted to pull some original movie reviews for They Live. Now, the cool thing is, is that I'm a subscriber for newspapers.com. Now, newspapers.com is an, an entire archive of newspapers going back to like the 1700s. You have access to almost every newspaper, almost every issue that's ever existed. Everything is scanned online. Now, this subscription is not cheap. It's like $70 for six months. But when I pulled the story, if you remember one of the most recent episodes, you saw that little article on the bottom with Vince McMahon and what they were donating after 9-11, which was a really good story. I said, you know, I'm actually going to try a, a trial of this subscription, and I loved it. I can't tell you how many articles that people have talked about in wrestling over the years, and they aren't available online, but they are on newspapers.com. So I'm going to go back to this week in 88, and I'm going to go check out some newspapers. I want to see what they wrote about the reviews. I want to see the explanation. I want to see if they figured out the messages and others. Um now, over the years, Roddy Piper's explained to us that the movie was kind of based on Reaganomics to a certain extent. I wanted to post an interview with Piper on this show, and I got one, and it's about six or seven minutes. I think you will absolutely love it. The original interview that I really wanted to put on here because it really dissects They Live Well is one that he had done a couple of years before he passed. The problem is that he did the interview with Alex Jones. Alex Jones is toxic to a lot of people out there, including myself. I am not a fan of Alex Jones. To get banned from Twitter, you know what I mean? That should tell you something. He, Alex Jones is just too much conspiracy theory, and he's got some whacked out ideas out there. But as you listen to that interview and you hear Roddy Piper tell Alex Jones that he's a huge fan you know, I don't know how that rubs a lot of people, you know, when I when I say that. Roddy Piper was a huge fan of Alex Jones. So instead, I found an interview that he had done in, I believe, 2012. Highlight Media had interviewed him because at the time, they were just doing a random screening of They Live at the New Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles, California. It wasn't even an anniversary of They Live, but they were talking about it. We all miss Roddy Piper. And this interview is very down to earth, gives you a couple little tidbits of interest. And I thought it was a nice way to just let us hear Roddy Piper once again. And uh, just being a regular guy, just so fucking likable, man. So here you go. Let's go back to this interview. Roddy Piper talks about They Live, which was released in movie theaters this week in 1988. <laughs> I am really excited to be here today with the wonderful Rowdy Roddy Piper. Roddy, thank you so much for being with us today. And we're here actually in front of the New Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles where I see your name up on the marquee. That's a pretty amazing thing. Tell us uh, what's going on here today. Well, um, actually, I've heard this is Quentin Tarantino's theater, and he's a big wrestling fan. Oh, okay. And he asks my daughter all the time how I'm doing. So, okay. Quentin... I'm doing fine. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it's uh, a screening of They Live, and it was something that a wonderful promoter here in town, Bill Philput, okay. uh, put together, and he just put it together at the last minute, and okay. 
I'm astounded by how many people, like, they're turning people away. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just wonderful. I mean, you know? the line earlier, Roddy, the line went all around the block here. 200-plus people sold-out show. Do you think I owe money? Or yeah, is it, you know, from past Dewey's? Or what do you think? It might be. It might be, man. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, to see people out here showing love, wearing the Hot Rod shirt, just representing the just the love. I mean, that must be a wonderful thing to see so many fans out here today. You know, it's... Unbelievable. Let me tell you the most charismatic thing. Uh-huh. I've been in an autograph line where they've had five generations, uh-huh. and they shake and they cry. Oh, wow. And it's it's not me. I just happen to be what they're watching. Yeah. It's the bonding from them. Wow. And you can't buy that. Wow. I just got a call from Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. And out of the last 137 years, the garden's been open, and they're picking the top 20 moments. Oh, wow. And my wrestling boots now are encased in Madison Square Garden. Wow. And now I'm with Quentin in his theater. I tell you, man, you know, just I just don't run out of bubble gum. I'm going to be in good shape. You are on top of the world. Now, I'm going to give you a hug. I just yeah, You're such a nice guy, I'm man. I'm starting a rod pod. Let's talk about that, the rod pod. So, of course, you're, you're in the 21st century, uh, yeah. Rowdy Roddy, uh, getting on the podcast thing. And, and what can fans out there expect to, to hear you uh, pontificating about? about on the rod pod oh man you know every time you think you got all the questions i won't change the answers <laughs> you know and the rod pod's going to be free for talk about anything and everything you know uh so Roddy, is it going to be like a 21st century version of piper's pit i mean a little controversy a little bit, a little bit of uh, some stuff there yeah you know I, I like to be a gentleman but um uh i'll state my opinion real okay. strong and uh it's going to be coming out of universal so it's uh, first class. I'm really excited about wow. it. And then I'm going to do another movie, too, maybe a oh, sitcom. Really? Yeah, oh, with, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. with Clark Duke. So wow. it's really okay. cool, okay. right? Well, Roddy, I, I, as a huge fan of 80s wrestling, WWF, yeah. and Vince McMahon can bleep that out, or World uh, Wildlife <laughs> Foundation right. can sue that, me and bleep that out there. But I always say WWF. I'm sorry. That's what I grew up with. Yeah. And, I mean, I grew up with, you know, Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling. Where, you know, you were a cartoon character. I mean, you were larger than life. When you came up against Mr. T, I mean, so many just amazing moments back then. What are some of the things that really stand out in your mind as kind of the highlights, particularly of the 80s era? Well, the very first WrestleMania is hard to beat. Okay. Because there was no battle plan, no nothing, no handbook. Okay. You know, it was free form. Yeah. The second one probably was the largest indoor crowd in the history of America. I wow. think till this day, yeah. 93,000 Pontiac Silverdome. Yeah. When the cart came back to get me, yeah. something went wrong. And Vince McMahon was standing next to me and he says, wait, Hot Rod. I said, man, if I can't run to that ring, I shouldn't even be there. And I started running. Oh, really? 93,000 people stood up. And the uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, yes. the ex-gov, yes, yes. they couldn't hear each other right from ringside and saying, I, unbelievable. The roar of the of crowd love. was just uh, deafening. Unbelievable uh, love. Well, now I'm in uh, 150 countries. Wow. And it's, uh, it's wonderful. I love you all, you know. I'm not that mad anymore either. Okay. <laughs> I don't cause that much trouble okay. anymore, okay. you know. I'm a dad okay. and... Uh, <laughs> But every once in a while, you know, uh, I, I may be out of step every once in a while, but I ain't forgot how to dance. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll be careful to, you know, not mince words with you, Roddy. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit, of course, we're here, as you said earlier, uh, at the New Beverly uh, for a screening of They Live, uh, a movie that has just lived on. I mean, its cult status has just, it's amazing to see so many young people here um, cool. loving this movie. And, of course, you know,
know, there are two lines... There's actually two things in the movie that really stand out that have been sort of glorified and immortalized. One is the fight scene that is just one of the most amazing street fights ever immortalized on film. Put the glasses <laughs> on. I'm glad I didn't ask him to borrow money. I'd still be fighting him. <laughs> and, and I had read, Roddy, that some of... Um, John Carpenter allowed for some level of impromptu, some sort of off-the-cuff, um, given that, um, you know, the athleticism that you had in other people in the film, he really let you kind of run with that. So yeah. to what extent did you as an actor... Um, were you able to kind of um, uh, do some things impromptu style? Yeah, I tell you, with the fight in They Live that makes it special is it matches the arc of the script because the fight was between two friends. And John Carpenter had me watch The Quiet Man with John Wayne, Marino Hera, and at that time, that was the longest fight. Here's the best part for me is when they're fighting, I take a two-by-four and swing it at Keith David, and I miss him and I break the glass, but I realize this is my friend. And I'm like, oh, but he gets mad why you and bust a wine bottle, but it cuts his hand. And as his friend, that makes me laugh. That enrages him more, and here he comes. So it was a fight between two friends, and then that was made it special. It's something that a lot of people can relate to, unfortunately. A lot of us, even with people that we love, we sometimes fight with and things like that. It's part of our nature, you know. Uh, we, we try to get along, but like my wife and I, we've been married 30 years, and we haven't agreed on anything since we said I do. Okay. You know, okay. Okay. And four of the most beautiful kids in the world. Yes, yes. So they, Definitely. yeah. Definitely. Wonderful. And then, of course, the famous line that, I'm sure you have to say over and over, but and that was something that you just came up with yeah. off the cuff, correct? Yeah, because um, so John says action, and he goes oh, hold the roll, which means everything's burning, and yeah. he says Rod, he says you're going in a bank, you got bullets on, you got a shotgun, sunglasses, you're not going to rob it, uh-huh. you need to say something, huh? You know, I come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Lunch. Yes. That was it. Yes. And as I'm walking back, yes. I'm going, what did I just say there? What was that? And it was no more than that. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And today you see kids walking around with that emblazoned tattoos of that on their arm, that on their shirts. I mean, that your words have are just will live forever. That's amazing. You know, I just met Shepard Ferry. Really nice man who started an entire clothing line, Obey, it's called, Obey. from the movie. Yes, yes. It's amazing and, how many things were created and, from and this And incorporating movie. The, the likeness of uh, Andre the Giant, of Andre course. Obey Giant, Giant was how exactly. it kind of started. And speaking of Andre, you know, we've actually had the, the pleasure of interviewing some other um, folks from um, the heyday, in my opinion, of WWF wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, the Iron Cheek, um, yeah, uh, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, I don't, yeah. You don't have to give <laughs> No, no, you no. don't want the old Roddy to come back, right? Gotcha. Um, but Roddy, of course, this last year, one of my... Uh, in addition to you, uh, uh, one of my favorite um, wrestlers of all time, Randy Macho Man Savage, um, had a very untimely passing. And do you have any memories of, of that kind of stand out in terms of um, interacting with uh, Macho Man back in the day? Any matches that kind of stand out in your uh, mind? Or well, I'll tell you, he did one where I'm not sure I could have done it. Yeah. They tied his hands in a rope, and Jake the Snake came out with a real snake and snatched into Randy's arm, oh. and then I, <laughs> baby Jesus, I think I, you know, I'll go fight the bear name Victor. I ain't fighting his name. So but, Macho Man truly was macho. I mean, he, he was able to withstand that. Macho. I don't know if you can hear this. One time I'm in the dressing room, I'm sitting down, and to my right is Hogan. He's naked, and he's putting on suntan lotion. Okay. To my left is Macho. He's naked, and he's got a Norelco razor, and he's shaving his bum. <laughs> and I'm looking to both sides, and I got a kilt on. Okay. That's wrestling. 
<laughs> God's truth. I, I, uh, I don't know what else to say there, Roddy. Thank you so much for that. And again, check out the Rod, uh, Roddy's podcast up on the screen and check out all the exciting things going on with Roddy. So thanks again, Thank Roddy. Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you. 1989, it's the end for the Brain Busters in the WWF. If you were a fan of the Brain Busters, this week sucked for you. Believe me when I tell you. Now, follow me with the dates, and you'll see how this all, like, falls into place. Back on October 2nd, you had the Brain Busters lose the WWF Tag Team Championships to Demolition. Now, this title change did not air on TV until this week in 1989. So even though they lost the tag titles on October 2nd, between October 3rd and November 4th, on the house show circuit, the Brain Busters were still defending the titles. But they were no longer the champs. WWF knew that the title change was going to air on television November 4th, 1989. So they're defending the belts, even while they already lost them. So now, this week in 89, we get the match on TV. We don't have internet at that time, and the magazines were a little bit far behind as far as results go. So most of us, 99% of us, had no idea that they had lost the tag titles on October 2nd. So this week in 89, we turn on the TV, we watch the Brain Busters lose the tag titles to Demolition. All right, fine. I'm a fan of Demolition. I figure, okay, Brain Busters could win the tag titles again down the line. Well, at the same time, this is airing on television WWF is doing a taping for an upcoming Saturday night's main event. And on that card is the Brain Busters versus the Rockers two out of three falls match. So what happens? The Rockers win the best two out of three falls. Bobby Heenan has a falling out with the Brain Busters, a lot of dissension, a lot of fr- friction. And you could see that the tag team was pretty much done. So this week in 89, we're watching on television, the Brain Busters lose the tag titles. And on a, t- on a TV taping this week, the Brain Busters are losing a two out of three falls match against the Rockers. It just, it's not fun to be the Brain Busters fan at this time. And what made it worse was that Tully Blanchard had tested positive for cocaine. I don't want to say he was addicted to cocaine, but he had a problem. And he admits it years later that he had a problem. WWF releases him. And with Arn Anderson, without Tully Blanchard, not much more you can do with Arn Anderson. He ends up being released as well. They approach the NWA, and they want to come back, reform the Horsemen, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. Oh, sure, Arn Anderson, welcome back. Tully Blanchard, though, you you got a drug problem right now, and we don't want to bring you back. So he's, you know, waiting a couple of months, he re- renegotiates, he cleaned up his act, and NWA says, okay, you know what, we'll sign you back, but they offered him a <laughs> a minuscule amount of money. And it was so low, it, put it this way, when you actually decide that you're going to leave at this time, NWA, to go to AWA, and think about how the financial disarray that AWA started to experience you know, in the late 80s, That just gives you an idea as far as how low the amount of money was as far as Tully Blanchard and NWA. So Tully would end up in the AWA. On would be back in the NWA. And Brain Busters were done. So for you, for this week, just to look back a a bit, let's flash back to this week in 89. 
Demolition taking on the Brain Busters for the WWF tag titles. And uh, I even include a little promo for Demolition talking about this match. I wanted to include a promo from the Brain Busters. The problem is, is that there's only two clips available online. One, the audio, you can't even hear it. And the other one just cuts off. I'm like, why would you even post it? <laughs> Seriously. So anyway, enjoy. Well, Brain Busters, I hope you had enough time to celebrate. I hope the weasel had all the champagne, the limousines, the fine wine, the girls, and all of it. Because very, very shortly, it's going to come to an end. That's right, just like he says, an end. Because you can only celebrate so long. And you have to get in that ring with us. And you know something? We love it. A little competition. A little knock on the head. Well, I'm going to fist right down your throat. Entering the ring. Yes. 
And Arn's asking for timeout, but I don't think he's going to get it. Up in the air, down to the knee, into the boot. Double team effort by Demolition. Some people. 
1990, the Rockers win the WWF tag titles just to have it null and void. You know, I think some people would be surprised if you are not familiar as much of the Rockers' title history or lack thereof. Do a little search online and you'll be a little bit surprised. You would think that they would have had, you know, a multi-tag team run. And this title change was very important for fans of the Rockers and it ended up being null and void This is pretty much how it went down. WWF this week in 90 was taping an upcoming episode of Saturday Night's main event. It was going to air, I think, November 23rd. took place at the War Memorial Coliseum in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hard Foundation were the tag team champs at the time. They defended the belts against the Rockers. Best two out of three falls gets the titles. Now, at this time, Jim the Anvil Neidhart was about to be released from the WWF. So... This title change was necessary. Get the belts off the Hart Foundation. Jim the Anvil Nighthawk was going to be released. Bret Hart was going to go singles. And your Rockers would be the tag team champs. A couple of things happened, though. Number one, the ring rope broke during this match. Wasn't too bad. They improvised very well. I originally wanted to play some highlights of this match. The problem is if you go online, I mean, there's no commentary. So what are you going to do? You're going to just hear moves and you're not going to hear anybody doing play-by-play to tell you what's going on. You're going to hear moves, a bell, and rocker's music and and the crowd popping. So I couldn't do that. So the ring rope broke. Okay. I don't think that that was the, the reason why they nullified the title change. It's coming up. The problem also is that Saturday night's main event, there are no overruns. You can't have an extra five minutes, seven minutes. You know, you set something for a certain amount of time and you stick to it. Even, you know, when you prepare to do shows, you know, you set the time for specific times. You know, you got certain limits you have to do. And you can't just turn around and say, hey, we're going to go 10 extra minutes. No, it don't work that way. So now this match goes nearly 25 minutes. Gets cut from Cyanite's main event. So now you have this match in the bag with a broken ring rope, and it went 25 minutes, which means it wouldn't have fit into the episode of Cyanite's main event. So, you, uh, excuse me, the main event. So the match never airs. Why it couldn't air on an episode of Superstars or something other, I have no idea. But here's the most important part of this equation, which is why... You know, WWF decided to just make null and void the title change. Jim the Anvil Neidhart was about to be released from the WWF. His contract was up. So the WWF was doing this title change mostly because Anvil was leaving. Bret Hart was going to go to a singles wrestler, and you put the belts on the Rockers. So this match is recorded. And again, remember what I said before. It wasn't supposed to air until November 23rd on television. So within the next two or three weeks, while this is recorded but not aired yet, Jim the Anvil Neidhart works out a new deal with the WWF. So he ain't going nowhere. So Vince McMahon, because some you know magazines and some people have now picked up on the fact that the Rockers won the titles. No internet yet, but still people were picking up on it. So they had a choice. 
leave the belt on the Rockers and air this match, you know, to, like I said, on the superstars or something else. But what Vince decided to do was to make the match null and void. And the reason being is because the ring rope broke. And because of that, they felt that the match uh, was null and void. So they gave the titles back to the Hart Foundation. And the Rockers were never acknowledged in the record books as tag team champs. 1991, the feud between the Macho Man Randy Savage and Jake the Snake Roberts intensifies. And no, we cannot enjoy yet the infamous segment where he's got the Cobra biting Randy and doing crowd shots of little children crying their eyes. Oh, man, we'll get to that soon. Not on this episode, though. This episode was very controversial as well. Not for what happened during the match, but what happened after the match. Now, I'll paint this picture. The match is over. Jake the Snake Roberts is still doing a beat down to Randy Savage, hitting him with a couple of DDTs. At the time, Jake the Snake Roberts was threatened with suspension if he takes out a snake. And it was interesting because the, the bag that he had at the time was very, very small. And you didn't see it moving around. So none of us at the time watching it thought that there was a snake in the bag. But still, they played up to it. You had that fucking commissioner that I absolutely jacked honey and I couldn't stand at ringside. And you have Randy Savage still getting beat down. And Elizabeth is trying to get Jake the Snake Roberts to stop. Stop the beat down. And then this happened. And following what you're about to hear, you will also get the interviews by Jake Roberts and Randy Savage that happened immediately after this incident.
congratulate me, Gene, huh? Take a look at that. You are a bona fide sicko, Jake Roberts. Hitting a woman. How could you? A woman? No man wants a woman that's going to lay down and grovel and beg for somebody's life. If it's a woman that I want, I want her to stand up. Stand up and be that. Be what I want. As far as slapping her, yeah, I slapped her, but I'll slap myself. I'll slap you, Gene Okerlund, but I'll tell you something, Randy Savage. DDT and you was fine. That really felt good. But the best feeling I've ever had in my life is when I grabbed a hold of your woman's hair, man, and jerked her up off of her knees. Huh? That was good. And then when I put my hand across her face, my man, it felt so good I should have to pay for that. Yeah, I would pay to do that. So the next time you think about crossing this snake's path and a snake chooses his own path where nobody else wants to go, you think about it again. But if you do decide to, please do me one little favor. I'm begging you. Please bring her back. Let me touch her again. Oh, get out uh, of here, please, Robert. I can cultivate her into something that even I could oh, want. please. Huh? I could do that. Trust me. Trust me. We were all appalled by what took place following the match between the Macho Man Randy Savage and Jake the Snake Roberts. You heard the comments by Jake Roberts gloating over... Shut up! But, Randy Savage, I'm just as upset over what took place out there as you are. The greatest Elizabeth. The greatest Elizabeth. You understand that? The greatest Elizabeth. Snake degraded her. Yeah. And I'll never forgive myself. It's the worst day of my life that I let him do that. You laid your hands on Elizabeth. You laid your hands on Elizabeth. That's my fault. It's my Man, you told who said you said something about hanging would you show you the dark side? Let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something right now. I'm gonna get you, man. Yeah. I'm gonna get you. And there ain't gonna be no stopping me, man. I'm gonna get you. You can trust me that I said that. You already got what you wanted here. You know, I didn't even get a piece of you. I didn't even get a piece of him! I blame myself! Man, I'm telling you. Touched Elizabeth, man. Touched Elizabeth. Unbelievable, man. That's it. It's over. It's over. No control, brother, man. I'm telling you right now, man. I'm going to get you, man. I'm going to get you here. I'm begging right now. You made her beg, huh? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you something right now. I'm gonna get you! And I'm telling you something, man. I'm telling you, it ain't over. It ain't even started. You understand that? You understand that? I blame myself! I'm gonna get you. Yeah! Get out of here! Obviously a very disturbed and vengeful Macho Man Randy Savage. I don't believe there's a place for Jake the Snake Roberts to hide. Let's get back out to you, Gorilla. I know I sound cruel, but soon enough we will get to reminisce and enjoy that infamous segment with the Cobra and just watching those little kids crying to cry. I'm, I don't like seeing kids cry, but at the time I was laughing my ass off at it. I don't know if I was laughing at disbelief like, wow, WWE, you go this far, but I don't know. It just entertained the shit out of me, and we will cover that very, very soon. 1993, 
Matt Hardy. Remember last week we played his promo? And yeah, uh, kudos to a lot of people out there who sent feedback and said, yeah, for an 18-year-old to cut that long of a promo, smooth, no stuttering, no, you know, talking over his words, none of what we all have fallen into the habit of doing, saying, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. He did a phenomenal job. This week in 93, they aired another clip from that promo on WCW Amateur Challenge. He appeared two weeks in a row. Fortunately, they never brought him in, but they took his name, High Voltage. Also in 1993, WCW Saturday Night airs, and unfortunately, it was the end of Steve Austin, Brian Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes. Huge favorite of mine at this time. And I know a lot of people look back on it and say, wow, that was a stupid move by WCW to split them up. You know, I, I'll say this. Yes, it was a stupid move at that particular time. They could have kept them together for another year. But splitting them up allowed Brian Pillman to really start developing his character in a different way. And I don't know if it would have been developed the same way if he remained as a member of the Hollywood Blondes. Steve Austin, obviously, there was signs of stardom, not to anything that we ever expected looking back on it now, but ultimately he would be released in 95 because of the injury, showed up in ECW, then WWE, and look, the rest is history. And I will say this, later on in this episode, we have two other moments for Steve Austin, one in ECW and one in WWF, and all I'll say is the one in WWF is probably the most controversial segment that Steve Austin's ever been involved in, and it does feature Brian Pillman, so I think you could figure out where I'm going with that. But, you know, looking back at this at the time, you have Colonel Rob Parker involved in causing the split between the two. I didn't like it. They still were on the momentum, but it just felt like they weren't getting pushed the way they should have. There was other tag teams on the food chain that WCW felt they were more focused with. And, you know, I think they wanted Steve Austin to be a singles champion, you know, United States champion, but not necessarily heavyweight champion. I don't think that was ever in the cards in WCW. So here you go. We flash back to 1993 WCW Saturday night, the Hollywood Blondes. After having a successful match, split. Sucks, but it happened. when they won the belts, were supposed to give them the belts. 
You remember that? Absolutely. Remembered very clearly. And of course, and that happened right after Fall Brawl. The Nasty Boys never did give the belts to the Hollywood Blondes. They held the belts to themselves. So now the Hollywood Blondes, as the Nasty Boys said, have to start back to the bottom to make their way back top in tag team wrestling. Well, you know, the Blondes made a mistake. They trusted the Nasty Boys. With a name like Nasty Boys, you should know better than to trust them. And then they're managed by Missy Hyatt. I mean, who's going to trust her? I'll go one step better. Who's going to trust anybody? Chris Kern is in there, and take a look at this. On the back, top of the head. A tag is made, and head first to the foot of Flying Brian goes Chris Kern. And the blondes start out the way we're accustomed to, Jess. All offense. The blondes love to take it to you. They're not defensive wrestlers. When you look at the Hollywood blondes, you see offensive-minded wrestlers. Look at this. Flying Brian right on top, firing those hands in, slaps him right in the face. There's a little filming going on. Love that filming. You do? Absolutely. How can I help it? Tony, I'm part of the number one movie in America. about that. You and Salone got kind of bumped by uh, Jed and Granny this past week, didn't you? You know why? There's a lot of ignorant fools like you out there spending their money going to the movies. <laughs> well, okay. Florida State, Louisville, Dusty Rose, and everybody else Jet in the world. Granny. Jed and Granny. Into the ropes. A big double clothesline. And you. Yeah, me. You're four or five for five here. Measured him, throwing that left boot in there. Face first into the mat with Sullivan. Now he's grinding his face into that canvas. You know, there's 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 a mean streak about Flying and Brian and a mean one about Stunning Steve. They're, they're so good, but their attitude certainly detracts from their ability, I think. Look at that. Chris Sullivan and Chris Kern taking care of, oh, slapped him in the face for crying out loud, and Brian quickly back to his corner. Well, Flying Brian's smart enough to call, look at this, he wants to start all over again. Sportsmanship. Ah, sportsmanship, huh? Tag is made. Sullivan won't do it, so he tags Stunning Steve, and Sullivan tags out. Top of the head. And a rake on top of the head. Whoa! Dragged his face and eyes right on the top strand of the rope. Believe me, that is not smooth. That will rip your face apart. Pulling up now, and, and now Flying Brian. Here's where the blondes are at their best getting the attention of the referee and using a chokehold they know how to manipulate in and out of that ring a tag is made and flying brian he got the tag but he's not there he is taking their good old time and making the exchange now but hey the blondes are looking sharp and the nasty boys better watch out beautiful drop kick Flying Brian with one of the best altitude drop kicks in all of wrestling. Right hand knocks Sullivan to the floor. That ensures a tag isn't going to be made. Snap mares him over. 
Here's a tag again, and Flying Brian ready to, oh, it's going to be the double atomic blonde. Both men down. On to Chris Kern, and this one's over. Jesse Ventura, the Hollywood Blondes continue their win streak in tag team action. Well, Tony, you better head on down and talk to them Hollywood Blondes. What a nice job you got. That was a brush with he's going to have a brush with greatness here in a moment as he works his way down the ringside to interview the blondes as you see the hollywood blondes coming off the top big cover one two three and the blondes are on their way back and they're going to tell tony shivani just how that's going to happen you talk about teamwork you talk about one of the greatest teams of sports ever seen the hollywood blondes continue to win each and every week single competition and tag team flying brian stunning steve tony you've got to be it all despite the crime of the century the greatest conspiracy that has ever rocked professional sports the big blonde machine rolls off whether it's commercial enforcements six-figure contracts or notches in our bedposts when you're a human magnet for greatness big things happen you took care of them single-handed, boy. They look like a couple of clowns standing in there next to you. You know, you disregard one fine point. That is, I'm a serious man. When I make a decision, I'm going to have something. I always get it. By the way, Tony, heading off for you, your cigar. Have it now. I mean well to do that exact same thing. get you carried away here. What about me? ahead and tell you about you. You know you got that bad leg down there. Let's clear up one point between us here. If you was a Kentucky race horse for me and you came up lame, what I'd do is I'd personally take you in the back and put you out of your misery. Now if it was in the case of a, of a human, like I'm talking about Steve Austin here, you'd be putting him in the same category as Secretariat or the Great Man of War. A lot of fine foes would be lost and a lot of money would go down the drain. But where you're concerned, <laughs> It'd be like shooting a hundred dollar jacket. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, on my personal behalf here, and this is only a personal thing I'm saying here, I'd kick all them traditional things out of the way, just knock you in the head with a, with a big old hammer. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-four, ECW airs its November to Remember from the ECW Arena in Philly. Two very important moments come out of this event. Uh, as far as match results, J.T. Smith over Hack Myers, 
Pit Bulls over the Bad Breed, Too Cold Scorpio over Mr. Hughes, Tommy Dream over Tommy Cairo, Dean Malenko over the Tasmaniac to retain the ECW TV title, Shane Douglas over Ron Simmons, damn, to retain the ECW heavyweight title, Public Enemy over Cactus Jack and Mikey Whipwreck to win the ECW tag titles, Chris Benoit versus Sabu goes to a no contest. Now, the two moments I'm talking about, the first one, you got to go back a couple of ECW episodes to see how it was built up. Salmon was in a match with Tommy Dreamer, and there was an incident where he was blinded. Okay? He's blinded. And the interesting thing about it is, and this is legendary amongst ECW lore and fans at the time, but Sandman wanted to sell this storyline so well that during the couple of weeks that he was quote-unquote blinded, he never left his house rarely answered his phone, which was interesting because why wouldn't you answer your phone? I think he didn't want to answer his phone because he didn't want people to just be asking him, yo, 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 did you really get hurt? You know, yo, yo, you know what I mean? Like he just really wanted to sell this storyline, you know, and credit for that. Like I said, of course we know the cat is out of the bag and it's entertainment and stuff like that. But I, I absolutely love when some people out there really try to keep, you know, certain aspects of wrestling, suspension of disbelief, and, you know, always make you wonder about something. And I've brought up examples many times, not going to do it again now, but it was November to remember where Sandman, who was in the ring, still quote-unquote blinded, he's uh, wearing a suit, which looked pretty dapper, and he's having a speech, his real-life wife, Peaches, is there, a woman is there, and then woman basically canes peaches. Sandman whip, whip, rips off the fucking patches over his eye, the bandages, and he's not blind. And it's really actually went off well, this storyline. And it's a very memorable storyline in the early years of ECW. Uh, another thing happened as well. Um, we had a match between Sabu and Chris Benoit. And... Look, a lot of people thought that, you know, this wasn't legit. But, yeah, Sabu really did fucking break his neck. What happened was Chris Benoit had picked up Sabu. Um, like, it's hard to explain it. You can go online and watch a clip of it. But basically, Sabu is standing up. And Chris Benoit takes both of his hands and goes under the foot of Sabu and pushes up, like he's lifting Sabu up to basically throw him up in the air, and Sabu, I guess, is supposed to land like almost like by his neck or the beginning of his back and sell it that way. Unfortunately for Sabu, he landed straight down, head first, straight down. And as soon as he hit, you could hear the crowd, and it just reacted differently, and it got pretty quiet in there. And Sabu kept holding his neck, kept holding his neck. And we honestly thought uh, that he was injured. It went to a double count out. And this ultimately would lead to Chris Benoit's nickname of the Crippler. So it was pretty vicious, man. It was pretty vicious. Yeah, if you've never seen it, go out there and check it out. And by the way, it, this could very well still be up on eBay. It's been up there for a very, very, very long time. Sabu, way back when, had sold some of his items on eBay for money. I don't know 
what would the, why he needed the money that bad and stuff like that. But he was selling some very f- famous stuff, and the prices were not all that bad. Somebody bought from him the actual outfit that he wore this night when he broke his neck. That person who owned it is now selling it on eBay. And I think the last time I saw the asking price was all the way down to $750. So if you're into some like really oddball or really cool memorabilia, you might want to give it a shot. Give it a look. Go on eBay. Just type in Sabu, maybe even broken neck. I think it even comes up that way as well. And you, if the item is still there, you'll see it. Wrapping up 1994, infamous match. If it had American commentary, I would definitely have shared part of it here. But you go back to FMW, and it's just ridiculous of how hardcore these matches were at the time. FMW matches were brutal. We talked about Cactus versus Terry Funk in the past. But the funny thing is, is that when you think of this match in 1994 between Onita and the great Sasuke, no rope, barbed wire, exploding, landmine, double hell, death match. wasn't FMW. It was Michinoku Pro. So it was just, it just an amazing match to see. Dangerous as a motherfucker. At the end, you know, you, you will see, which is pretty cool. You know, they're outside the ring. And there's a countdown. And at the end of the countdown, the whole entire ring was going to explode. They had somebody in like a blimp over the arena to basically record live the ring exploding. And the visual is stunning. It's stunning. But it's also very dangerous. And at the very end of the countdown, which I thought was really cool, Onita basically grabs Sasuke and he's got Sasuke like they're holding each other outside the ring and then Onita grabs the referee and he pulls them all together to basically protect their eyes you know just just you know crouch together and um then the ring explodes this was a scary fucking match if you are new to hardcore wrestling or if you've never watched it at that time and you're always looking to find some matches that really stand the test of time or some very unique matches. I know a lot of people like to automatically go to Abbey or they'll go to Funk Cactus, which rightfully so. FMW has a plethora of matches. But, and I'm talking about Japanese wrestling. You know, in the United States, you got CZW and others, but go check out this match. Michinoku Pro 1994, Onita versus Great Sasuke. Absolutely fucked up. This week in 95, if you were an ECW fan like me, maybe you recorded them with your VCR, maybe you tuned in live like I did, or maybe you did both. You recorded it and tuned in live. But this week in 95, late Saturday night, about 2 a.m., you're tired as fuck, but you want to stay up to watch ECW. And we're right in the midst of Steve Austin, you know, just really mocking WCW And sure, within the next month or so, he's gone from ECW. A lot of people will always point to ECW as the beginning of the Stone Cold character. And this week, we got treated to three Steve Austin segments. First, let's share with everyone how ECW actually opened up this week in 1995. Hi, I'm Beulah, and welcome to Beulah's Box. This week, my box is going to get an up-close and personal feel for something that's 
a big stick of dynamite. TNT. You never know when it's going to explode. And best of all, it's live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Monday Night Wall, where the big boys play with each other. I apologize for the balloons. But I had to fire the pyrotechnician guy because he couldn't show up. I did it over the phone, no less, but I had to fire him. Okay, right here with the big boys playing with each other on my right. As of always, Bongo. Bongo, how you doing? Okay, now the brain couldn't be here tonight. Pan over here to where the brain's supposed to be. Brain couldn't be here, so I had my secretary leave a message on his answer machine. And when he calls me, I'm going to fire him on the phone just like I did Austin because that's the way I deal with people. I'm not a very brave man, and that's the bottom line. Okay, big show tonight. Like I said, if you're watching another channel, get over here. If you're thinking about watching another wrestling promotion, don't do it because this is the only one that's live. Okay, big main event tonight. Never before seen on TV. The most dangerous match in the world. And you're going to see it right here on Monday Night Quill. Oh, yeah. Yes, right here on Monday Night Quill. Bottle of Geritol on a pole match. First time ever in the world. You're going to see all the old codgers here in our organization, and they're going to be scrapping around and using their walkers, trying to keep the dentures in, and they're going for it because this is the hottest show on TV. Brother, this is the bottom line. We're number one. Did I repeat that I already fired the brain over the phone? Oh, yeah. This is where the big boys play with each other. Oh, yeah. Did I tell you that we're number one? Okay. I'm going to go. Okay. The cameraman's telling me we got to go to a break. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know the names of any of the holds, but I'm going to sit here and fumble around and bubble around. And if I put you to sleep, if I don't put you to sleep, the matches probably will. So bear with us. This is Monday NyQuil, and we're live. You know, a lot of people remember that segment, that skit, but there was actually a second one that aired that night as well. Tell me, wake up. Hey, fire, fire, fire. Oh, I'm sorry if, if you went to sleep just like I did, and probably if it wasn't me, it was a match. I know it was boring just like everything we do here is boring, but next week we're going to be here live where the big boys play with each other. Oh, I, I can't wait. And then you had an interesting match. 19-year-old Mikey Whipwreck versus the Sandman for the ECW heavyweight title. A ladder match. And Mikey Whipwreck, look, underdog. I'm not going to get into the whole character storyline. You should know it by now. But they're going to have a match at the ECW arena. There's a ladder right smack in the middle of the ring. They're about to start their match, and they're interrupted by Steve Austin. Now, not a memorable big promo, but still, since there were so few moments of Steve Austin in ECW, we all, we all remember them specifically. So here is Steve Austin's promo right before Mikey Whipwreck took on the Sandman in a ladder match for the ECW heavyweight title. <laughs> A couple of people got smart with me on the way to the building today and said I was a Hulk Hogan wannabe. One of them said I looked like Hulk Hogan. I've been crapped on for four years. I believe I deserve a break.
a letter to the top in WCW like this. <laughs> I'm up here all the way at the top and I look down and I see two jabronis. And from the places I've been, about a $5 piece of ass. Whipwreck, you amaze me, son, because you're a go-getter. You ain't got no quit in you. You don't know what the word quit means. I respect you for that. But you're still just a loser in my book, son. Nice guy. This is Steve Austin talking to you. And if I'm calling you a loser, you can damn well bet it's the truth. What a jerk. Keep drinking a few more beers. Smoke a couple more cigarettes because, yeah, you're sure you're really, really cool. Brother, I'm gonna get your ass in a ring and I'm gonna run circles around you. And when your tongue's hanging out there by your feet and I'm walking off with a damn belt in my hands, you're gonna wonder, what the hell was I thinking? That's Steve Austin. On second thought, maybe I like him. It's not a Mikey Whipwreck. It's not one of the misfits back here in that godforsaken dressing room, man. This is Steve Austin. Don't get me wrong, hey. I could rustle up $5, and if I had a clothespin to put on my nose, I'd give you a try. Woman, none too happy about those don't comments. Don't think about looking at me pissed off, honey, because it's you that married a midget, not me. I wish both of you guys best I hope one of you kills each other because whoever comes out on top, goddamn, you're looking at the next chap right here. And if people aren't aware of it, Mikey Whipwreck at 19 years old did in fact beat Sandman. You watch the match, he like fell on top of him. He was like unconscious and I, I don't even think he realized he had won. You know, it was one segment where... You know, in storyline, you understood it, but it kind of felt bad as well. But it was storyline. You know, Mick Foley was uh, teaming up with Mikey Whipwreck earlier in Whipwreck's ECW, you know, brief career. And, you know, at one time, Cactus Jack was a babyface. Now, we're right in the midst of the November to Remember pay-per-view, which airs in about two weeks, and we will cover that because there's there's a match on that event that is still my favorite ECW match of all time, easily. And Mikey Whipwreck right now is wrestling in this match. Mick Foley is now a heel because it's going to be him and Raven versus Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer in November to remember. So when Mikey won the heavyweight championship, the first person to go into the ring to hug him was Cactus Jack. And it was a cool moment. But then you had to follow the storyline because Cactus was a heel and you can't trust him. So you had the other babyface wrestlers come in and they basically, you know, forced Cactus to leave. And Cactus is like, I just wanted to celebrate with, you know, with Mikey. And that's the way it went down. Um, you know, if you pay attention closely at the fans at ringside, Mikey Whipwreck being the heavyweight champ. Yes, it was sudden like anything could happen, but there were some people that did not like it at all. Now, Mikey Whipwreck would only hold the belt for a couple of weeks. But at the time, I didn't have too much of a problem with it because they didn't have him 
repeatedly uh, successfully defending the title by just a clusterfuck win or some type of an accident. You know what I mean? Like he just falls on someone. However, remember, we are now getting close to November to remember, and Steve Austin wrestles Mikey Whipwreck on that card for the heavyweight title. And anybody that follows ECW title history, you don't recall Steve Austin ever being a heavyweight champion. That should tell you who won and who lost that match. Moon over Broadway, I think some people will know what I'm talking about. But we'll get to that match when it comes time in a couple of weeks. And then after that match would be the final match, which was Sandman versus Mikey versus Steve Austin. And that would ultimately lead to Steve Austin's exit from ECW and then showing up in WWF. Also in 95, Sabu, who was in WCW at this time. Remember, it was only a day earlier that he had the fireball incident with the Sheik. A lot of people always thought that that fireball is what caused Sabu to exit WCW. And as I said last week, the fact is, is that he was under a pay-per deal, like a one, you know, pay-per event. They were paying him by event. He wasn't inked to a contract. And this week in 95, he fought Disco Inferno on Monday Nitro. At one point, he tried to put Disco Inferno through a table um, and was unsuccessful. And the table did not break. And it looked like Sabu really was in pain with his hip. But after that match this week on Nitro against Disco, that was it. Sabu was out of WCW. So Sabu's official record in WCW is three wins and one loss. And technically, it could have been four wins and zero losses. But remember, the first match he had against Alex Wright, because he kept beating on Alex Wright and put him to the table, that the referee reversed his decision and gave the win to Alex Wright. So you had the loss against Alex Wright, two wins against Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn, and he lost to Disco Inferno. So there you go. He had two debuts on WWF TV. First off, Goldust made his in-ring debut, defeating Savio Vega. And we also had the TV debut of Ahmed Johnson. Now, they did do a couple of interview segments, you know, in previous weeks. But as far as in the ring at a live event on TV, it was this week in 95 on Raw when he made his debut. Do you remember how Ahmed Johnson made his debut on TV? In case you forgot, here it is. The Razor's Edge! Yes, the Razor's Edge! Owen Hart is going to go down! Here comes Yokozuna! Wait a minute! Yokozuna pulling out! Oh my goodness! A deliberate disqualification on the part of Yokozuna! Something had to be done, McMahon! Look at this! Oh! 641 pounds of Yokozuna! That huge behemoth coming in to save Owen Hart! 
This week also in 1996, we had the in-ring TV debut of Rocky Maivia, Dwayne Johnson. Now, it wasn't a match, but basically what had happened, we we're leading into Survivor Series. And Rocky Maivia was going to make his debut for the WWF in a match at Survivor Series. Well, on this episode of Monday Night Raw, you have Goldust versus the stalker Barry Windham, who are on the Survivor Series teams. And during the match, both Survivor Series teams came out, started to brawl with each other, you know, huge melee. And during that brawl, Rocky Maivia came out and was in the ring as well. So that is technically his debut. Same episode, Pillman's Got a Gun. Probably the most controversial moment on Monday Night Raw's history. I have the whole montage to share with you now. And, you know, little segments of it that I think a lot of people overlooked because it was a couple of things how it went down. Now, look, you followed Raw for the last couple of weeks leading up to this. You, know, you got Steve Austin now being more stone cold than ever before, you know, beating up on Pillman, who was his former partner. And then let, the week before, Steve Austin threatened to go to Pillman's house. And Pillman said the week before that he's got a gun waiting for him. So they talked about the gun a week earlier. But on this episode, we start off pretty innocently. We got a match in the ring. And during the match, we're interrupted by Doc Hendricks, Michael P.S. Hayes. And this leads to basically the chain of events, which ultimately at the end of Monday Night Raw, Brian Pillman whips out the gun. And a lot of people, you know, may not remember that after this happened, because they almost got thrown off the USA Network off of, off of this, the WWF and Brian Pillman both issued apologies on the air. So I'm going to, I think it's available for the following week's episode of Monday Night Raw. If it is, I will play the apologies next week, since technically it does fall in next week's time frame. But here you go. Flashback, 1996. Pillman's got a gun. Goldust and Barry Windham going at it. Look at this. Get it, Goldust, get him. And Goldust being thrown back into the ring. Barry Windham, the stalker, being hammered upon now by Goldust, the veteran. Yeah, oh. And look at to the midsection. Back to the corner. Goldust now. Whoa! How about that arm drag? Whoa! Come on, Goldust. Vince, 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 Jerry. What? Listen, I hate to interrupt this wait, match. Wait. I know it looks Excuse like me, it's going to be a great Doc, one. Doc, is that you? Yes, it's Respect. me. I'm in the studio live on the phone. I just, I'm contacted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He says he's in the rent car, has left the Cincinnati airport, is headed to Brian Pillman's, and he wants to talk to you, Vinny Mac. <laughs> Do you have him on the Am phone? Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Steve, yeah. Steve Austin? Yeah. Are you actually in the car on the way to Mr. Pillman's house? Damn right. I said I was going to be last week. And anything I say comes true, Vince. Yeah. You know that. I'm the biggest star in the world, so who's going to stop me? <laughs> what are your intentions? I don't understand. Why, why are you going to Brian Pillman's house? Hey, he's the one that brought this whole mess on. He took my interview time, tried to turn it into a shrine to worship, rest the hitman heart, and inspired a new verse out of the book of Austin. Austin 25-17. I will strike down upon your ass with great vengeance and furious anger, and that's what's going to happen. Mr. Austin, I must warn you, there is a welcoming committee there Brian Pillman has his friends around that house. It is not wise for you to go there. And I got a six-pack of whoop-ass riding shotgun with me, son. 
a number don't intimidate me in the least bit. If I got something to do, then it's going to get done. Stone Cold, Stone Cold, listen what? to the king. Listen, that idiot Pillman threatened last week, said he's going to have a gun there. All right, knock it off. Well, he yeah, said he that. got the guts. What? I'll do whatever it takes to get my hands on Pillman. You'll find out. Mr. Austin, we're what? talking about trespass here. We're not talking about something in the rustling world. We're talking about trespass if you make good on your promise. Well, listen, Vince, if something happens to me, I'm sure you'll make amends for it because I'm a big star. I'm in the big matches Survivor Series. You can't do without me. I can do whatever I want, and I've got the mindset, and I've ticked off enough, and I don't really give a rat's ass. I will do what I say regardless of the consequences. Steve Austin apparently on his way to Brian Pillman's home. And imagine Brian Pillman is sitting, ladies and gentlemen, Whoa. with his wife Melanie at home in Cincinnati watching this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live now. Suburban Cincinnati with Brian Pillman along with Kevin Kelly. And, of course, everyone knows of the injury sustained rather, uh, at the well, WWF Superstars about a week ago. And, uh, Kevin, would you uh, proceed with the interview? Yes, uh, Vince, it's a very tense scene here in suburban Cincinnati tonight. Brian, I have to ask you, after the unprovoked savage attack last week on WWF Superstars, you had, I understand, reconstructive surgery once again on your ankle. Can you give us the prognosis? What have the doctors told you about your recovery? Look, Kelly, I'm alive and well. I got an excellent prognosis for 97. But let's talk about Mr. Austin's prognosis. I've been in bitter feuds many, many times in this sport. There's a fine line between business and private lives. Austin, you've crossed that line. You've made this personal. And now we're operating on a whole different set of rules, son. And Brian, we heard earlier that uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin could be on his way to your home here tonight. Uh, I, you Actually, can't move. Kev, if I can inter interject this, uh, I am, so I'm told that, uh, in fact, that we have uh, Mr. Austin circling the neighborhood. And I just wonder oh. whether or not from your standpoint, uh, Mr. Pillman, if you can hear me, it seems to me that considering your vulnerability with your wife, Melanie, and with... Well, Steve Austin's very vulnerable as well. well, well I not think what, do you his feel rage has blinded him to the fact that his best friend knows him better than anybody. Do you feel it... His strengths, his weaknesses, and certainly his fears. Notwithstanding your bravado, do you feel a hostage? Do you feel like you're a hostage in your own home tonight? Ah, Steve is a dead man walking! Because when Austin 316 meets Pillman, oh my God! Not a God. Oh my God! I'm gonna blow his serious straight to hell. He's a Steve Austin's out there now, man. What? Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with, with more Raw, and we are live. We are at Stone Cold Steve Austin. We had heard that Austin had arrived on the scene as we left you for break. Stone Cold Steve Austin's out there with Brian Pillman's friends, and Pillman's friends are trying to keep Austin away. Look at this. These shots are live. Oh. Steve Austin. Look at this. Steve Austin on the outside of Brian Pillman's home. 
Imagine, again, Brian Pillman on the inside of his house with his wife, Melanie, are watching these pictures as we are live. Austin is outside of Brian Pillman's home. I know you're out there, Brian. You're out there, Brian, too. And some sort of a publicity stunt Austin trying to get into the house of Brian Pillman. Austin literally trying to break into Brian Pillman's home. He's disappeared around the corner. Pillman, if Pillman, once again, if you're watching, send somebody outside and tell... You got to send anybody else. Well, you got a reason with, with Steve Austin somehow. Steve Austin cannot go in that house with a gun in there. Sure, the authorities have been called. And again, ladies and gentlemen, standing by Kevin Kelly. Let's take you back now to the home of Brian Pillman. Kevin, oh, come on. Vince, all right, we heard Stone Cold Steve Austin outside. He's been making his way around all the way to the back of the house, screaming and yelling. Pillman's got this pistol out, and I don't know what the hell is going on here. This is ridiculous. Pillman's got this home. What the? What the hell is that? Somebody call the police. It's Austin. Get out of there. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. We've lost our satellite feed. This is exactly all we have. We have, we have no idea what's going on in, in Brian Pillman's house. We have, we have no idea. This is all we have. This is what we've had for the last three minutes. And... Jim Ross in the ring has no idea what's going on. Has no idea what's going on live out in Cincinnati. And as soon as we have any word whatsoever, we will interrupt this and take you back to Cincinnati. I think we reestablished our feed. Stay with us. This, this happened earlier tonight. We're going to take you back live. We're going to take. That's what happened. We lost. We are live. This is live. Power's been restored, Vince. Guys, everybody is here inside the house. Kevin Kelly, there's chaos there. I do not know where Stone Cold Steve Austin is right now. Was any, did anybody fire a shot? Is anyone hurt? It's a crazy scene here inside the home. Did anybody get shot? And Brian Pillman being restrained by his friends. Nobody's been shot. What? Nobody's been struck by any of the... Any of the explosions? Do you do you know where Austin is? Vince, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Do you know where Austin is? I do not is? know where Steve Austin is. What was more damage? He saw the gun. Was he more damage? He saw the gun and he left. Oh what? my God, he's back! God. Let him go. This son of a bitch got this gun. Let him go. I'm gonna kill that son of a bitch. Let him go. Call the police! Call the police! Call the police! All right. Get him out of here! Grab him, Kevin. We're grab the gun. Oh my God! Grab the gun! Somebody get the gun!
Want more controversy? Something else happened in 1996. Kurt Angle appears in ECW. Now, when we think of that story, what do you remember? Kurt Angle shows up. You know, he's there. He's with Joey Styles, shakes hands, and he's just taking in an event of ECW. And then at the end of the event, we have Raven crucify Sandman you know, and it simulates a cross and he's got Bob wire over his head, which simulates Jesus with the, with the thorns and Kurt Angle is so livid and so angry. Not only does he walk out of the ECW arena, but he told Paul Heyman, if you air any of my footage on ECW television, I will sue you. And it was a really bad situation at the time because it got a lot of attention, a lot of press. The newsletters co- covered it. Hotlines covered it. A lot of places covered We all knew about it. And it was a really fucked up situation. Now, Paul Heyman apologized to Kurt Angle up and down, saying he had no idea that was going to happen. Now, look, you look back at Paul Heyman and ECW and stuff, and just promoters in general. This is nothing against Paul Heyman, but did Paul Heyman really know that that was going to happen? You know, you make, you know, I think you could figure it out. But a lot of people don't remember, you know, the actual promo of when Joey Styles introduced Kurt Angle to the fans, and Kurt Angle did commentary on a match during that night. Now, I'm going to include the commentary here. And, you know, I apologize because you're going to cringe when you hear the commentary. I'm just preparing you. At the beginning of this segment, you know, we're under the impression that Kurt Angle is a wrestling fan, pro wrestling fan. You could tell immediately in the commentary that Kurt Angle, I don't think, ever watched a minute of pro wrestling. You'll see what I'm talking about. And Kurt Angle on commentary It was not good, but I think you would appreciate it anyway. And I will say this. I made a little remark about it on social media. You know, sometimes I pull clips from WWE's network because the quality is better, especially when I do uh, photos for my synopsis. And I wanted to pull a photo for Kurt Angle and ECW, and I wanted to use the WWE network's footage because their uh, picture was a lot cleaner. And if you notice, when you look at my synopsis, um, the photographic with his name underneath and everything, that never aired on ECW. I actually made that myself, and I think I did a pretty damn good job of it. But as I'm pulling this screenshot from the network, I'm listening to the music in the background. I'm like, wait a minute. That wasn't the music. He came out to the Olympics music. WWE, actually, we know that they will, you know, dub over ECW music, some theme music because they don't want to pay royalties. But it blew me away to realize that WWE actually dubbed over the original music that was played for Kurt Angle that night, which was simply the the music from the Olympics. That just, the guy's a gold medalist and he's one of the biggest stars in WWE history. And all they're doing is showing an innocent little segment of him appearing in ECW and you have to dub over the Olympics theme. I was like, man, oh, that's fucked up. But luckily, I have my huge collection. So the audio that you will hear is from my collection. It has the original Olympics music in there. And it doesn't have that garbage generic Taz music that 
WWE Network plays as well. Mine is the original. Always have the original. Enjoy it, everybody. I just want to say it is an honor and a pleasure 
to meet you. And I hope you are impressed with the things I do tonight as I am in, as impressed with you. It is an honor to meet you. You are an idol in my eyes. Good luck to you. And Mr. Angle, I, I know you follow professional wrestling somewhat and
right to the ring with them. Oh, I would love to. I'd buy a ticket to see that. I see he's in an amateur stance. He's got a lot of amateur uh, background with him. Uh, absolutely, Taz. Not, not as much high impact, not as much high flying. He really likes to. There's a single leg. Single leg, yeah. I wonder if he's going to finish. Seems to have countered defense. Good defense. He has a key lock on his arm. Nice throw. Nice throw. Now I understand in uh, in this wrestling that it's either uh, choke out or knockout or, or submission. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure. Normally in wrestling it's a three count. Tonight it's a shoot fight. You've got to knock him out or make him tap out and submit. And we've got a leg lock on now by Tess. What happens? Do they ever get into a stalemate? Oh, okay, if you hold on to the ring. Okay. If, you, if you get to the rope, then he's going to break the hole. We got to keep it moving. They seem to be eyeing each other down. They have a lot of respect for each other. Well, Taz really doesn't respect anybody except maybe you and, and Taz. And you're the only other man I've ever seen him respect. And, and like you're a gold medal. I think you're Kurt Angle. Thanks a lot. For a single leg. You can see little Guido's been in Japan. There's a leg drag by Tad. Nice. He's got the bow and arrow. Oh, painful move. Painful move in wrestling. Freestyle bow and arrow. You're very familiar with this. Referee John Pee Moore right there. Little Guido not giving it up. Not yet. He seems to be pretty technically sound. Not only is Tad technically sound, he's about five foot ten and 248 pounds. He's like hitting a brick wall. He does have a lot of muscle on him. I got to tell you that. Short arm close line. Down goes little Guido. Why does he go for the kill right now? Why is he turning his back? Well, that's what Sabu does. Sabu always points to the heavens for inspiration. And right now, Taz is mocking Sabu. He's calling out Sabu. And again, they haven't come face to face yet. That's not like amateur. If you're amateur, you go for the kill right away. Nice throw. Nice throw. Harmon's carry Taz split. Sabu. Nice throw by. He's going to try to choke him out. Little Guido going for a sleeper hole. Didn't work out. This is a judo move. I'm not sure what it's called, but he's trying to lock his arm out. That's a Juji Gatami. And I noticed these two guys do a lot of judo and amateur wrestling. We do have some athletes here in ECW. I mean, it's really a hybrid wrestling promotion. We've got high flyers. We've got guys who swing garbage cans. But we also have sound amateur wrestlers like Little Guido, like Perry Saturn, like Taz. Taz down a waist lock on Little Guido. Reverse. Which, another reversal.
could tell this guy was a good amateur wrestler. This is it. I'd still like to get 10 minutes in the ring with him. I think I could handle it. That's it. He's going for his finish. And that's a judo choke, isn't it? That's the cut to hide, Jermaine. The tag mission. Beautiful, beautiful Ladies match. I think you did a great minutes, job. 17 seconds. Your winner by submission. Wrapping up 1996, random ECW promo by Taz on Sabu. I think you'll really enjoy it. And something that's very interesting coming out of it. If you remember Bailey Legal, their first ever pay-per-view, that took place in April of 1997. Now, we're in November of 96. And yes, the hype of Sabu and Taz has been building for months and months and months, maybe even longer than that. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Barely Legal was not supposed to happen in April of 97. It actually was supposed to happen sooner. But there was an incident in the ECW arena involving New Jack and a kid who lied about his age and his experience. And on an upcoming episode, we will cover that incident. And that put the pay-per-view in jeopardy. So as you're hearing this, the idea is is that this pay-per-view match between Sabu and Taz is supposed to happen much sooner. Okay, now it's time for my side of the story. February 4th, 95, double tables. Taz and Sabu win the tag team titles. I carry Sabu to the victory. Sabu gets another belt. Everybody knows the guy knows he's a mark for the belts. Feed his ego, could post more apt as magazines. Whoop-de-doo, who cares? A couple of months later, April 8th, three-way dance. At the time, biggest match in ECW history. Taz and Sabu both get phone calls from a Japanese wrestling promotion. I, of course, turned down the date. I'm already committed to ECW. Sabu, on the other hand, he calls me up. He tells me he's going. It's great money, he says. Okay, what about your word? I guess his word don't mean nothing. Well, that's fine. I go to Paulie and I tell Paulie, either you fire him or I'm gone. I quit. April 8th, Paulie gets in the ring, publicly fires Sabu. I'm in the ring to make sure Paulie doesn't swerve me. Fine. Here comes the summertime. I break my neck. Why? Because I don't have a partner watching my back. The company panics. ECW panics. Paulie don't know what to do. So what does he do? He listens to the fans. They're calling back Sabu. Let's bring Sabu back. Yeah, like the fans know anything about this business. <laughs> they bring back Sabu. It's a slap in my face. Slap in my face. 
So for one year, I call out Sabu. For one year, he doesn't answer my call because of fear. He fears me, and so he should. So everybody says to me at the November, this last November to remember, hey, Taz, would you come out during the match the three-way dance floor and almost choke out <laughs> Sabu? Why? Why? Sabu. All you had to do was come to me. All you had to do was come to me. If you went to that drawer with the eliminators and say, Taz, I'm fixing to go into this three-way dance. You and I, let's do it together. Let's let bygones be bygones. But no, you didn't do that. What about me, Sabu? What about Taz? Instead, you stay with Van Damme because you have a, your word with Van Damme. Your word with Van Damme. Van Damme, you saved Sabu the kicking of a lifetime. This week in 1997, Bret Hart signs with WCW. There's been some conflicting numbers online over the years, but we pretty much all settle with $7.5 million deal over three years. Lighter schedule, reasonable creative control. What a lot of people may not know was that at the time, a confidentiality agreement was signed by all parties, agreeing not to make this public until after Survivor Series in Montreal. And unfortunately, news broke almost immediately. And that's all me and my friends were talking about at the time. Absolutely. I mean, you had wrestlers jump to WCW before and vice versa to an extent, but this was big. This was huge. Now, we'll cover Survivor Series, you know, when we get to it. I'll cover it a little bit different, not just going to play a clip from the match. And it's, I'm going to try to find some unique stuff that you may have never heard before. Now, once Survivor Series was done and Brett was out of WWF, he had a 30-day no-compete clause. Not 90, but 30, which means that the earliest he could appear on WCW television was the middle of December, which was about two weeks before Starcade 97. Speaking of 97 as well, uh, Perry Saturn made his debut for WCW this week, and he uh, made his debut mean something. He defeated Disco Inferno and won the TV title. And wrapping up 1997, the J-Crown was officially retired. Basically, the the J-Crown was uh, a bunch. I think it was eight championships. And it was light junior middleweight championship belts from various organizations, including the WWF. And at this time, the WWF retook control of their light heavyweight championship. So as a result, we uh, had the J-Crown retire. I don't know why they couldn't have kept it just without the WWF light heavyweight championship, but maybe there was something in the contract where that was it. 1998, speaking of titles, um, Mick Foley is uh, shown with Vince McMahon in the locker room. And Vince McMahon gives Mick Foley this gift. You got it. Well, you don't even know what I'm going to give you, much less what I'm asking. It doesn't matter. You've got it. All right. But I'm asking you not to interfere in this next matchup with Ken Shamrock and The Rock. You promise. I will not be a thorn in your side. You give me the present and I'll do anything. You don't even know what this is. You trust me. I trust you. I have it for you. This is the WWF Hardcore Championship belt. And Mick, you've earned it. <laughs> I love it. You've earned it. I gotta be honest with you, I love it. Just one thing. In some respects, I think I lost a son tonight, but maybe maybe I gained another one. Really? 
Gee, thanks, Dad. The hardcore title would officially debut about five days later. First match that ever took place with it, Mick Foley successfully defends the hardcore title against Ken Shamrock. Maybe we'll share that match next week. And um, look, hardcore title, still one of my favorite titles. I consistently have said for many, many years now that the 24-7 rule was one of the most entertaining things that they used to do. There's no reason why they can't bring back the hardcore title. There's no reason why they can't try to do a 24-7 rule. You don't have to have headshots with chairs or Singapore canes. You get very creative. I think it could work. For some reason, they absolutely will not pull the trigger on that. Makes no sense. Anyway. 1998 as well, ECW has their November to Remember pay-per-view from New Orleans, Louisiana. Almost 6,000 people in attendance, which was really impressive at that time. ECW pay-per-views are only on TV now for about a year and a half. Uh, The cards were still solid, but, you know, some of the matches were, you know, looking back on it, not all the greatest. It was interesting to see Jake the Snake Roberts on this card because all I remember his choice of attire in this match. Go back and look at it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Matches from that night, Supernova and a Blue Meanie uh, defeat Danny Doring and Roadkill. Terry Funk was the special guest timekeeper. Tommy Rogers over Tracy Smothers. Spike Dudley over Ulf Herman. Lance Storm over Jerry Lynn. Yeah, I had special referees, Mikey Whipwreck and Tammy Sitch. I think Mikey hit the, uh, the stunner on Tammy Sitch. Bowles Mahoney and Masato Tanaka over the Dudleys to win the ECW Tag Titles. Jake the Snake Roberts and Tommy Dream over Jack Victory and Just Incredible. And the main event, RVD, Sabu, and Taz over the Triple Threat, Bam Bam Bigelow, Chris Candido, Shane Douglas. 1998 as well, Jesse Ventura, running as an independent, wins the governorship of Minnesota. He won with only 37% of the vote. The Republican got 34%, Democrat 28%. Jesse Ventura running the same ticket, the same party, the Reform Party as Ross Perot. There's a name from the past. Jesse Ventura nominated as and wins the 38th governorship in Minnesota. Wrapping up 1998 as well, WWF tapes their debut episode of Super Astros, from Austin, Texas. And the main event from that night, El Hio del Santo over Super Loco. And, you know, it was an, it was an interesting card. Uh, I actually am going to be having a trivia contest coming up on an episode of DTKC show that has to do with Super Astro. So for everybody out there hearing this, you know, you got a little head start as far as, you know, what the question is going to involve. It was what it was. I mean, it was hosted by Carlos Cabrera, Hugo Zavinovich, Spanish announced team. And, you know, this, this all the episodes I think are online if you want to go check out some of them. I even think Scott Taylor, Scotty Tuhati, was on the first ever episode. I always remember Scott Taylor being on there. So there you go. 1999, John Cena makes his pro wrestling debut took place for UPW's Entertainment Overload event in Santa Ana, California. Wrestles under the name The Prototype and won a handicap match against Billy Kim and Troubled Youth. 2000, WWF 
uh, settles their wrongful death lawsuit with the Hart family. This obviously has to do with the untimely death of Owen Hart. Also in 2000, ECW has their November to Remember from Villa Park, Illinois. 4,500 people in attendance. The matches, Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger over Christian York and Joey Matthews. Kid Cash over C.W. Anderson. Danny Doring, Roadkill, and Spike Dudley over Easy Money, Julio De Niro, and Chris Hamrick. Nova over Chris Chetty in a Loser Leave Town match. Balls Mahoney and Chili Willie over DeVito and Angel Baldies in a Flaming Tables match. Rhino over New Jack to retain the TV title. Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke, the FBI, over Tajiri and Super Crazy. Main event, Steve Carino over Jerry Lynn, Sandman, and Just Incredible in a double jeopardy match to win the ECW title. This is the first pay-per-view ECW had after being canceled by TNN. And sadly, this is one of their final pay-per-views. You could see that the card was really lacking uh, some big names. It's a shame. 2004. Something went very, very wrong on SmackDown. At this time, they're doing the Million Dollar Tough Enough competition. The Miz is involved, Daniel Pewter. And I will always remember, and I've brought this up in the past, when I was working for USA Pro Wrestling, it might have even been end of an era, because I got introduced to every member of Tough Enough, including The Miz. Met Jonathan Coachman, could not believe how fucking tall this guy was at the time, because I'm 6'2", and it felt like he was you know, overtaking me. Um, they took them to some indie events to see how indie shows are. And I remember them hanging out the entire night. Everybody was cool and respectful. So this week in 04, they're on SmackDown. Now, the week before, there was an incident where Big Show was body slamming all the wrestlers and somebody popped up almost immediately. And Big Show flipped the fuck out. This week, we have the Tough Enough competitors at ringside you have Kurt Angle in the ring, and Kurt Angle asks if any of the wrestlers want to come into the ring and face him. And Daniel Pewter accepts the challenge. Now, for people that don't remember what went down, Daniel Pewter put Kurt Angle in an armbar, and it looked like he could have broke the guy's arm. And the referee counted to three, and Kurt Angle and Daniel Pewter exchanged some words in the middle of the ring. We couldn't really hear what they were saying, but Kurt Angle was fucking pissed off. Daniel Pewter was like, I didn't do nothing wrong. You know, so Daniel Pewter, look, we know what should have been, what could have been, what didn't happen. But what I'm going to share with you right now is the moments in the ring of what went down between the two. Also, you're going to hear... Uh, in part of an interview that Al Snow did about this incident and part of Kurt Angle's shoot interview where he talks about this incident and Daniel Pewter. Now, Al Snow is very important because Al Snow was one of the main trainers for Tough Enough. And Al Snow explains why he was totally against having what went down in the ring and the body slam with Big Show last week. I think you'll find this very interesting. We try to, as much as possible, work everything so that we don't allow for outcomes that we can't control in a public setting. And there were other people who insisted, even though I advised, not to have that situation because Vince wanted 
Kurt to go out there and wrestle Maul. And I was like, I would suggest you don't do that because these are all young, healthy, strong guys. And I would not put Kurt at risk of doing that. Well, what do I know? And then I had the same situation. They, they wanted, they insisted that Big Show, when they did the thing with Big Show, that Big Show slammed the guys. And I said, I don't think you should do that. I think have him chop them because then that, you don't have to rely on the other guy to, when he slams them to sell. If he chops them, they ain't got no choice because that's literally like getting hit with a frying pan. No, no, no. What do you know? And they, he'd slam them and Nick, you know, popped right up and Big Show flipped out and, you know, trying to protect himself and ended up cuffing him and almost, and knock, almost knocking his head off and it didn't do anybody any good. You know, it didn't benefit anyone. And Pewter, I believe, only lasted about a year under the contract or so. Yeah, they offered him another contract. Here's why. Because you have to understand it was a million-dollar contract over four years, which is still $250,000 a year. But here's the problem. A million dollars worth of expectations from you. Now, you're starting with literally zero knowledge and zero experience. Okay? And you're supposed to be able to produce at a million dollar level. What do you think that's what do you think your chances of success are? Very slim. Very slim. So, you know, they he got a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar year. They offered him you know, because they saw the potential. I mean he's an amazing marketer and self promoter, uh, and charismatic individual. And uh, um, they saw the potential in you know, in keeping him and utilizing him, but they offered him less money and he chose not to take it. Here we go, winner, Kurt Angle. Oh, these, these, these young athletes, these tough enough people, they've been training all day and whatnot. Who wants to get in the ring? You want to get in the ring? I guess Kurt's not through. You want to get in the ring with me? Get your... Well, here's Daniel. Hold up, Pewter just volunteered to get the ring. Yeah, Daniel Pewter, a cage fighter from an Ultimate Fighting Championship. I'll tell you what, he might have the old proverbial more guts than brains. Daniel Pewter, 23 years old from Sunnyvale, California. Oh, I don't give a, I don't care where he's from. Well, I know the kid's got, got a background in fighting in cages and UFC and whatnot. You know what Kurt Angle? It's a matter of time for Kurt Angle to twist this pitch over with the ball. And Kurt Angle backing Daniel Pewter into the corner. Pewter is the individual who was pushed in the locker room by the big show oh. last week. Pewter was, Pewter was trying to stay close to the... He's got a key lock there, Pewter, trying to get a key lock on Angle before he was hanging off to the corner. Shoulders are down, and this one is over. Daniel Pewter eliminated by the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle, and uh, so much for the UFC. <laughs> Kurt Angle is eliminated. Oh, 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 Kurt Angle set him. You're in a wrestling contest. What the hell are you doing on your back? You stay off your back in a wrestling contest. When you're in this ring, you're in my ring. You understand. And by the looks of it, none of you are tough enough. Now get out of my face.
Smackdown between you and uh, Daniel Pewter. I was in a very awkward situation. Um, at that point, I couldn't do five push-ups. I was really, really bad shape. My neck was really bad. And Vince asked me to do this. He wanted me to wrestle all of them. I wasn't worried about Pewter. Actually, Pewter, he's Pewter's a pud, man. He's he's he was the last guy. I was more worried about the two big guys. The, um, one guy looked like Jeremy Shockey and uh, and the and the big black kid um, because I weighed about 207. Uh, my body was deteriorating. My neck was killing me. And the first kid I wrestled, I got him in a front headlock and I pushed him over. When I did, I jammed my head into the, the canvas, and both of my arms went completely numb. And I pinned the kid. And I didn't want to do any more, but I opened my mouth and I said, "Who else wants some?" And nobody would raise their hand. And then a fan started looking over at them. So Peter was like, I'll do it, you know? So I said, come on in. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this because I can't even feel my arms right now. So we get in there and uh, they start it. And I take a half-assed shot because I'm scared to death of my neck. And when he backed out of it, the fans cheered. And I was like, geez, I barely even, you know, attacked them. So every time I attacked him, he'd back into the corner, back into the corner, back in the corner. And the more it went on, the more my hands started slowly, uh, like I couldn't even close them. So I ended up getting him, I had him, I had him in a single leg, and I went to change to a double leg, and he grabbed the rope. When he grabbed the rope, I reached around my back to get him off the rope, and that's when he got me in the armbar. Now, I had him. And all I had to do, and I, I would never do it because I don't want to hurt any of the guys, I could have thrown him right on his head because both of his hands were locked. So all I had to do is go backward, just throw him right on, right on his head, break his neck, boom. Instead, I brought him in the middle of the ring, and you can see it on video, I dropped him my knee, and I dropped him nice and easy to his back. Now he starts cranking. And the whole thing was, it wasn't supposed to be an ultimate fighting contest. It was a wrestling match. But there was supposed to be submission. But the, he, he was a moron. He, uh, he, 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 put his, he put his back on the mat. And it wasn't supposed to be a one, one, two, three count. It was only supposed to be a one count. So the referee did a three count. I think Peter might have kicked it three. But the whole thing was, it was an amateur wrestling match. All you have to do is hit the mat once. And Peter was flat on his back. Right. So when the ref went down, he was pinned. And, it was, and when he got up, we, I didn't, we didn't exchange words. I said, you know what? You're a stupid son of a bitch. He said, why? I said, because you pinned yourself. I said, you had me in an arm bar. I said, this isn't an ultimate fighting competition. I said, this is a wrestling match. And he goes, well, you're allowed submission. I said, yeah, but you pinned yourself, you stupid bastard. I said, now get out of my ring. That's what I told him. I basically, he pinned himself. So, you know, so the story, you know, the thing is, Pewter, he was a piece of work, too. Um, I saw him about, uh, I don't know, two or three months after that, and he was at the airport in San Jose or, or somewhere around there. We were having a pay-per-view, the Royal Rumble. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I'm in the main event. I said, what, what main event? He said, I'm in the Royal Rumble. 
I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. He's in the main event. The Royal Rumble's not the main event, you freaking moron. You know, and basically all they did was chop the shit out and throw him over the top rope. Right. Because he was a horrible wrestler. We couldn't do anything with Daniel. Uh, he couldn't cut a promo. Um, you know, right now I know he's having success in the MMA world. He's 5-0, and but tell me one guy he's fought. You know, all his manager's been very, very particular about who he fights and most of the guys are, are 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 not that good you know so I don't know what he's holding out to do um, I think if he wants to become a major player in the MMA business he needs to start fighting some names but I think he's scared to uh, but no I think that Daniel Pewter became an overnight name because of what happened with him and me was there ever an uh, I guess he talks about turning that into an angle at all or not? Yeah, yeah, and I was all for it. Um, uh, I wanted to help Daniel. I wanted to, uh, if he would have caught on, as we were expecting him to, uh, we would have had a great angle. I was even considering doing the job for him, which would have been crazy for a guy his first year, but he just was so bad at wrestling that we couldn't, we had to let him go. And I, you know, at one point, he would, you know, his report, the report, the actual reports coming in were that he was so bad that Vince knew he wasn't going to keep him after the first year. He was going to, you know, he, he was supposed to win, what, a million dollars? Right, right. And it was, what, 250 a year? Uh, so, but Vince had a clause in his contract that he could lower that amount to whatever he wanted. So Vince reduced it to like 75 the second year. And Daniel was like, without knowing money, he said, you're not actually. You're not, you're not what we expected you to be. Right. You know, so Peter got all upset, and Vince is like, we really don't need you. 2005, Christian's seven-year career with the WWE comes to an end. Here's basically how it went down. We have to think of SmackDown first, then Raw. So SmackDown, they had a taping, and there was a match. Rey Mysterio and Matt Hardy defeated JBL and Christian. His contract ended the next day. So... A couple of days later, he shows up at Raw, and waiting for him at Raw is a new contract. Christian tells WWE he needs some time off. He's not going to sign. He's done. And that was basically it. Now, he obviously would sign with TNA shortly thereafter, have a decent TNA run. You know, as I talked about on Breakfast Soup with Mish, I get annoyed when people focus on Christian's interview when he first returned again to the WWE in 2009 and, you know, really downplayed his career in TNA, not acknowledging he was a world champion and stuff like that. And I I always looked at that like, well, he's doing that because at the time TNA is still around and you didn't really acknowledge each other. And, you know, but Christian, I really thought valued his TNA run. And an interview recently was posted with Christian Here's a little clip of it. It's only about three minutes long, but that three minutes really, really showed me, I mean, how classy of a guy Christian is. He explains why he um, did not sign with the WWE, and he also mentions a little bit about TNA and why it was such a big deal, and he finally explains that it was necessary for Christian to leave WWE for a little bit to evolve, not only as a wrestler, but as a person. For me, I um, I was almost just needed a break, break. You know what I mean? And I was like, my contract was coming up. It's like I just need to get away. And it's like my body was hurting, and I was like, and um, mentally, I was just 
so many years. Like I was on the road since I was, you know, 24 years old. I'm now, I think I was 31. And, uh, I was like, I just, I'm burnt out. I just, I just need some space. And if I sign this, then it means I'm, I can't get that. And do you feel so, they, don't, they don't understand that? Well, I, I just, I don't know if they don't understand it or if it's maybe I didn't, I didn't feel like I had anybody that I could talk to about it. So I kept it bottled up hmm. until it was like, and maybe I could have, I don't know. Cause I, I, that's just the mindset that I was in. I was just so like in my own head at that point, as far as like, I just need, I just need some, I just need to get out of the bubble for a bit, you know? And I didn't. I just felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to about it there. And I don't know if I, I probably did, but I, I, I didn't feel like I did. So, um, I just waited, like I just, I had the contract and, and, you know, I just politely said, look, I appreciate it, but I can't, I can't sign this. You know, I need to, to go away. And, um, the TNA thing came up and I had a conversation with my wife, you know, do I, do I want to do this? Do I not? And then it was like, at the time it was wrestling five days a month as, as opposed to, you know, the being in that grind where you're gone all the time and, and traveling, traveling, traveling. And I was like, you know what? And actually my wife was, was the smart one. Cause she said, look, she said, it's, they're doing everything pretty much in Orlando. It's a drive. You don't have to get on a plane, but the good thing is, is that it's there when you want it. And then you can step away when you don't want it because it's only five days a month and you can keep your mind sharp. You're not going to go away and have to come back and kind of retrain yourself like, oh man, you know, you're still going to be thinking about it mm. and you're still going to have the wheels spinning and doing your thing, but you can step away when you need that two, three weeks, whatever it is, you got it. So, um, that's kind of was the decision, but it was, it was great for me and they, they treated me really well. Right. And, um, but I think I knew when I went that w when the time was right, I would go back. And, um, I also felt that maybe, and I'd not even realizing this, but after I went back to WWE, after being away for those years, I had some growing up to do with for myself and you can't do that necessarily when you're, cause you, you don't really know who you are sometimes. So like I needed that space just to be a husband for a little bit, to go on a vacation, to hang out with my neighbors, to, you know, drive to the grocery store, not have to pack a bag every week. I needed that little bit of normal normalness in my life to figure out really who I was. And then, um, you know, I also needed to, that opportunity, even though it was on a smaller level to work at the top of the card, to understand that I can do it. And they gave me that opportunity also. So it helped me in that respect. So when I went back to WWE, not only was, I felt like I was mature as a person, I was more mature as a performer. And I think that helped me when I went back. 2005 as well, some controversy. Now you got to think at that time, we have a little storyline going with Jonathan Coachman and Jim Ross coach, you know, getting more active in the ring. You know, we think that he's going to become somewhat of a part-time wrestler. We have Taboo Tuesday coming up the following day. So they teased the week before that Steve Austin actually was going to face Jonathan Coachman on Taboo Tuesday. So, you know, we're wondering what's going to happen in Taboo Tuesday. They, you know, had a lot of different gimmicks with matches and you vote on it and i will give you the results from taboo tuesday in a moment but what we thought was that jonathan coachman was going to face steve austin we didn't know what kind of match it was going to be but word coming out of the camp was that steve austin was going to lose this match and was not having it and walked out so as a result we have the match changed to batista 
Now, Batista versus Coachman, a little too one-sided, so you had to make this a little more interesting. So we got the sudden returns, unexpected returns of Goldust and Vader in WWE. Now, I have talked repeatedly for years how much of a fan I was of Vader. And I have expressed the love for Vader way before he ever passed on. A lot of people are huge fans of Vader, both in the ring and out of the ring. I had the privilege of speaking to him a few times when we got him for USA Pro Wrestling shows a little bit. I remember one time that he took uh, ill and just having a little convo on the phone with him and rescheduling, you know, like some plane stuff and everything. But I was a big fan of Vader. With that said, though, when he came back in 05, he was grossly overweight. He was always overweight, but he just looked terrible. And is that infamous clip online where he trips and falls next to coach. And although we laughed, and yes, there is an old episode of our podcast from that night when he fell. It was funny, but after you just felt bad. He just could not move around. So as a result, you have coach, Goldust, and Vader all as a cohesive unit. And we lead into Taboo Tuesday. Uh, Ray Mysterio and Matt Hardy over Chris Masters and Snitsky. Matt Hardy and Rey Mysterio got the highest vote percentage as far as who was going to take on those two in the ring. The other options were JBL, Christian, and Hardcore Holly. Eugene and Jimmy Snuka defeat Rob Conway and Tyson Tomko. Of the legends, Snuka got the most votes with 42%. Hacksaw Jim Duggan got 40%. Kamala, 17%. Mankind defeats Carlito and the fan voting that night. Which version of Foley did you want? Now, you're listening right now. You can go back to 2005. Which version of Foley would you have wanted to see face Carlito? Mankind, Cactus Jack, or Dude Love? Mankind won with 52% of the vote. Cactus Jack got 35%. Dude Love got 13%. Now, me, I wanted to see Cactus Jack because I thought the match would be more of a false count anywhere. It would be a lot of fun. But the fans just absolutely loved Mankind. And you know what? This promo that took place the night before probably helped seal the deal that Mankind was going to be the top vote getter. So you think you know cool, my fine Afro little friend. We are talking to the man who invented the word dude love. And should the fans vote for me, take it into consideration your all-out assault on the dude's twig and berries, I can guarantee you this. The dude will not have oh mercy. Unfortunately, Carlito, Cactus Jack doesn't have any guarantees because I have no idea what I might do at Taboo Tuesday. Barbar baseball bat, no guarantee. Thumbtacks, no guarantees. A bed of nails, no guarantees. Wait, 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 Carlito. I do have one guarantee. Pain, bye bye. Oh, Carlito, what you did last week wasn't cool or neato, so I guess I'll have to make you bleed like Rocky and Apollo Credo. On mankind's two fists you will veto, as if they were two giant Cheetos, or if you're in the mood for cotton tacos, say hello 
to Mr. Sacco. And when the match is all completo, you'll leave skid marks inside your Speedo. Have a nice day. Kane and the Big Show. They defeat Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch to win the tag titles. Now, you know, this is interesting. And they, and if you remember last week's show, it was almost a similar situation. Basically, you had a different poll as far as who was going to uh, get a spot in the WWE Championship match. And because Kane and the Big Show didn't win the vote in that poll, they got the opportunity to team up with each other to fight for the tag titles, and they won. Batista over Jonathan Coachman in a street fight, and, you know, you go back and you watch it, it was not good. Trish Stratus over Ashley Mazzaro, Mickey James, Maria, Candice Michelle, and Victoria in a Fulfill Your Fantasy Battle Royal to retain the women's title. The outfit of choice that everybody voted on, 43% got for lingerie, 32% for leather and lace, and 25% for a cheerleading outfit. Ric Flair over Triple H in a steel cage match to retain the Intercontinental Championship. The steel cage match won with 83% of the vote. Submission match, 13%. And a regular match with 4%. What horrible choices, right? <laughs> they wanted that steel cage to win. And John Cena over Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels in a triple threat match to retain the WWE title. Shawn Michaels got the final spot in that match with 43% of the vote. Kane got 38%. Big Show got 16%. See, originally it was John Cena and Kurt Angle. But they were going to make it a three-way, and they were going to let the fans vote on who would be the third person. Shawn Michaels won that vote. As a result, Kane and Big Show went to defend, uh, to compete for the tag titles, and that's basically how you got that. 2006 WWE releases Psychosis. This is shortly after that incident we talked about recently where he carjacked a vehicle in California with a toy gun. It's fucked up, man. Really fucked up. 2006 as well, Cyber Sunday takes place. You know, similar to Taboo Tuesday, but they wanted to do it on Sunday. Best way I could put it. Umaga over Kane. Kane was the opponent of choice for Umaga with 49% of the vote. Sandman got 28%. Chris Benoit, 23%. Crime Time over the Highlanders. Charlie Haas and Viscera. Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch in a Texas Tornado match. Texas Tornado won with 50% of the vote. Tag Team Turmoil got 35%. I think some people didn't understand what Tag Team Turmoil was. Fatal 4-Way got 15%. Jeff Hardy over Carlito to retain the IC Championship. Carlito won the opportunity with 62%. Shelton Benjamin got 25%. Johnny Nitro, 13%. Rated RKO, Edge and Randy Orton over D-Generation X. The returning Eric Bischoff was the choice by the fans to be the special guest referee. Vince McMahon and the coach got 20% each. Lita over Mickey James in a Diva Lumberjack match to win the vacated women's championship. And the Lumberjack rules was the choice of the fans with 46%. No disqualification, 40%. Submission match, 13%. For those wondering, title was vacated back at Unforgiven when Trish Stratus retired after winning the title. And also for those... Curious, the Lumberjacks that night, Crystal Marshall, Trinity, Victoria, Melina, Michelle McCool, Ariel, Kelly Kelly, Rebecca DiPietro, Layla, uh, Jillian Hall, Ashley Mazzaro, Tori Wilson, Candice, Michelle. 
And this would be Lita's last championship run in the WWE. She would f- retire uh, at Survivor Series a couple of weeks later. Ric Flair and Roddy Piper over the Spirit Squad to win the tag team titles. Piper was Ric Flair's choice in the voting with 46%. Dusty Rhodes at 35%. Sergeant Slaughter at 19%. And main event, King Booker over John Cena in a big show in a triple threat match to retain the World Heavyweight title. Fans chose the World Heavyweight Championship title to be at stake with 67%, followed by the ECW title at 21%, and the WWE Championship at 12%. Now, in case you're curious, King Booker was the World Heavyweight Champion. Big Show was the ECW Champion. John Cena was the WWE Champion. So the fans got to choose which belt would be on the line. Fans wanted that World Heavyweight title to be online more than anything. 2007, Rikishi, who was in TNA for a very brief period of time under the name Junior Fatu, he leaves due to a contract dispute. Also in 2007, WWE announces publicly that effective immediately, anybody who fails the wellness policy, their uh, violation will be made public. Not necessarily what they tested positive for, but just that the person's name would be made public. And I remember we covered it at the time. It was done primarily to maybe embarrass someone into not doing you know, anything they're not supposed to. You don't want your name floating around. You failed the wellness program. And as soon as they made that announcement, two people were suspended almost immediately. Harry Smith and Chris Masters, uh, Chris Adonis. And um, not only were they uh, suspended, but Chris Masters, wasn't he released right after this? I think he was released right after this. He he got suspended for two months because it was a second violation. And then he would get released from the WWE. That's how it was. Uh, That was Harry Smith's first violation. So he was only suspended a month. 2008, WWE releases Brooke Adams. 2010, Linda McMahon's bid to become senator for the state of Connecticut loses to Richard Blumenthal. Blumenthal, uh, anybody who follows politics knows I can't stand that guy. Something wrong with his hands. He's got like purple hands. They look like newborn baby feet. You ever see like a newborn where the skin is like purple and pink? Look at Blumenthal's hands. Don't look at a photo. You got to look at it live because for some reason it doesn't come off on a photo. He's got weird-looking hands, the inner part of his hands. It's almost like he whacks off with purple paint. But anyway, Blumenthal won with 55% of the vote. Linda got 43%. Also, in 2010, TNA announces an anti-bullying campaign called Eliminate the Hate. Do you remember that? In case you forgot, here's a little commercial that they were airing at the time. It's time. It's time to stop the name calling, the hurt, the bullying. Because of race, creed, color, sexual orientation. It's time to treat everyone like you want to be treated. It's time. It's time. It's time to eliminate. Eliminate. Eliminate the hate. Eliminate the hate. Eliminate the hate. And you know what's sad? They had a website, EliminateTheHate.com, and the website is no more. The campaign is no more. And, you know, look, of course, TNA is no longer. We have Impact Wrestling now. 
But, you know, if you go to, oh, uh, Wayback Machine, and you actually find it's interesting. Go to Wayback Machine, and that allows you to see what websites looked at in years past. You could actually go check out my website, and you could see what it looked like in 2001, 2006, 2010, because that site's been around for quite some time now. I got my website now for almost 20 years. But go to EliminateTheHate.com and look at how that website was set up, and it's a shame. It felt like it was more for publicity as like a PR thing than actually trying to eliminate the hate. I know it sounds cold, but if you go backtrack and go check it out, you'll see what I'm talking about. And it got a lot of controversy as well because, you know, you had Orlando Jordan around this time squirting like mayonnaise on his chest and, you know, they were doing some questionable things in their company. Yes, it's just entertainment. Totally agree with that. But it did get its share of controversy at the time. We're almost done, by the way, everyone. 2011, as I said at the beginning of the show, the fucking Muppets invaded Raw. I know it wasn't as bad as I'm playing it out to be, but I just didn't like the guest host. You know, for every one guest host that was decent, nine would suck. And I don't know, the Muppets thing was eh, you know, eh. 2012, WWE 13, the video game, released North America. And this would be the last WWE video game ever to be released on a Nintendo Wii. The last one to be released by THQ because they would ultimately file for bankruptcy. And uh, the big hook on this game this year was the Attitude Era mode, which is something that a lot of people wanted. And do you remember the controversy from this game? WWE originally wanted Sheamus on the cover of the video game, but they ended up going with CM Punk. And Paul Heyman has talked about this publicly. I don't know if CM Punk has ever talked about it publicly, but, you know, I think they went with the right choice. And you know what? In tribute to CM Punk, here is the commercial for the video game that was released this week in 12. The time is now to become part of something bigger than yourself. A force that will change the game. Do I have everybody's attention now? We will unite, speak our voice, use our power, and influence the world. We will create a new future. Everybody at home, put your hand on the screen and feel me flow through you into your homes. Join the revolution. Go to the revolution. Two thousand and thirteen. I'm gonna save everybody some pain. If you wanna go watch it, see for yourself, by all means. But look, we are all big fans of Chris Jericho. Guy keeps reinventing himself. Very likable guy, very talented, huge entertainer. You know, it's just everything he does, you know, it seems to he does well. But in 2013, he wanted to test the waters as an actor. Started a web comedy series called But I'm Chris Jericho. And it's, 
you know, based on his life loosely, you know, it's got a lot of comedy in it. And he's, you know, the storyline is that he's struggling to make it as an actor, blah, 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 blah. He's an ex-wrestler. And I remember watching the first episode when it came out. It's called Sausage and Eggs. Now, look, you watch any TV show out there that has been around for a couple of seasons. The pilots, very rarely are they as good as episodes. Because in the beginning, you develop the character. You're trying to find your way. You want to see what sticks, what's popular, what's good. You you change things around. You build on it. It's normal. So I don't judge the entire web series on the first episode, but I watched it, man. And I was like, this sucks. It really does. I mean, the first episode called sausage and eggs, I guess Chris Jericho has an apartment and he's got his friend staying over and his friend asked if his father could stay over too. And then we find out his father happens to be a nudist and there's a shit stain on a couch. It's oh, painful. I originally was going to share some of the audio here, but it's painful. So we're going to leave it off. If you want to watch it online, by all means, do so. But I'm Chris Jericho, debuted this week in 2013. Also in 2013, TNA advises all their talent who was stationed in Louisville, Kentucky, that they all needed to move to Orlando, Florida, because they ended their relationship with Ohio Valley Wrestling, and they were trying to cut costs. So they basically told everyone, you got to go to Orlando. And wrapping up 2013, you know, some news that I know some of you out there are not going to like, but the facts are the facts. At this time, Daniel Bryan is getting heavily pushed as a main eventer, and he was headlining some pay-per-views, and some pay-per-view buy rates were coming out that were not good at all. This week, WWE held their earnings call for the past quarter. They released pay-per-view buy rates. Money in the Bank only got 199,000 buys. SummerSlam 296, Night of Champions 175. The SummerSlam um, in the year before did 358,000 buys. This year's SummerSlam that only got 296 was Cena versus Daniel Bryan with Randy Orton cashing in right after the match was over. The other pay-per-view buys were not good either. Night of Champions, Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton was down from 189,000 buys. Last year was headline CM Punk versus John Cena. Right? See how much difference a year makes. And when Vince McMahon was on this conference call, he said that SummerSlam was not the right attraction and you don't always knock them all out of the park. And he was not high on what was going on. And a lot of it was focused around Daniel Bryan. No joke. There are lots of articles around this time in 2013. And they're all saying that Daniel Bryan, although very likable in the Yes movement, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't leading to pay-per-view buys. If anything, they were going down. Now, he should not bear all of the blame. You know, there's a lot of other things as well that were not good at that time. But still, he was basically taking the bullet for a lot of people, you know, in some people's eyes. So wrapping up this show, a couple, couple more. One clip. 2014, we all remember this. WWE announced that they were going to have a network exclusive, Rusev versus Sheamus for the U.S. title. And we got to see it exclusively in the WWE network, and Rusev would go on to win the U.S. title. 
you know, why would the match really care all that much if it was a network exclusive? There's no title change. So we kind of felt Rusev was going to win the U.S. title. He did. This was an exclusive at the time. It's on the network still, if you want to watch it. It wasn't a bad match at all. Uh, 2015, Ronda Rousey does an interview with Rolling Stone. And during that interview, she comments that she's watched NXT, uh, paid attention to Charlotte and Natty's match for the title, absolutely loves Natty, and she actually started training. um, And she feels that she's ready to go to WWE. You know, she thought that, you know, there's a lot of things that she could participate. And, you know, look, remember, this is 2015. This is several years before she actually would make her WWE debut. And she's still in the midst of MMA. So this was a pretty big deal at the time because people started to think, you know what, Ronda Rousey in the WWE, that could very well happen. And then you had the, you know, the WrestleMania segments with her teasing that she would be coming in. And then they finally went full-blown with her in 2018. Wrapping up 2015, unfortunately, this is the anniversary that Seth Rollins got seriously injured in Dublin, Ireland. He was in a match versus Kane. He was going to try to do a sunset flip powerbomb, and his right knee buckled. I remember we all were covering it at the time. He would have to vacate the World Heavyweight Championship, and they decided they were going to crown a new champion at Survivor Series. Uh, Once he got the MRI done, we found it was a torn ACL, torn MCL, and a torn meniscus. So he was out for quite some time. 2016, WWE has their Hell in a Cell pay-per-view from Boston, Massachusetts. Match results from that night, six-man tag, Cedric, Alexander, Lince Dorado, and Sincato over Tony Nese, Drew Gulak, and Arya Davari. Hell in a Cell match for the U.S. title. Roman Reigns retains the belt, defeating Rusev. Bailey over Dana Brooke. Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson over Enzo and Big Kaz. For the WWE Universal Championship in a Hell in a Cell, Kevin Owens retains over Seth Rollins. For the Cruiserweight title, Brian Kendrick wins the belt by defeating TJP. Tag team match for the Raw tag titles. Cesaro and Sheamus defeat the New Day by disqualification, so the New Day remain your champions. And the main event, Hell in a Cell match for the Raw Women's Championship, Charlotte does win the title over Sasha Banks. I know we had a lot of comments to say about that match when it went down at the time. And, you know, I'm going to just leave those comments for our DTKC show episode from then. If you want to, you know, in fact, I even think we did a pay-per-view recap. So if you want to hear in detail as far as how we felt about that match, you could look it up. I mean, you know, the match didn't necessarily deliver as good as everybody thought it would be. It felt, you know, in defense of the women, there was a lot of pressure put on them, not only to main event a pay-per-view, but also do it in a hell in a cell. So, and wrapping up this episode, it was also this week in 2016, Ring of Honor had their final battle event. It was a match between the Young Bucks and the Briscoes. And after the match was over, the lights went out, the big screen lit up, and we got this. Yes! I must admit, it's quite delightful to partake in the honorable ring once again. And I must also admit, Bucks of Youth, Dim Boys, that was quite the intoxicating matchup you just participated in. I don't know if you've known this, 
but myself and Brother Nero have been mandated to prove we are the greatest tag team in all of time and all of space. And if that means we must come to ROH and render you ramshackle rednecks and you spot monkeys obsolete, then we will. But be warned, bucks of youth, if myself and Brother Nero come to the honorable ring, we will delete your tag team title reign. Delete, delete, delete. Now, at the time, there was a lot of rumors of the Hardys going to the WWE, and they eventually did for WrestleMania. But still, I think people look back at this brief time that the Hardys were in Ring of Honor with nothing but fond memories. So there you go. Notable birthdays this week. Those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday to Bobby DeBrain Heenan, Frank Sexton, George McKay, Buck Weaver, and Kotetsu Yamamoto. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Tanji Hasegawa turns 83. Kanji Kitazawa turns thir- uh, 76. Michael Buffer, 74. Roadblock, 66. The Boogeyman, 54. Koji Kanemoto, 52. Fabulous Fabio, 51. Alex Porto turns 49. Dawn Marie, 48. Shawmel Huffman, Yuki Nushino turn 46. Edge and Cody Hawk turn 45. Zumbido, Mr. Tempest, and Tiger Shark turn 44. Sangre Azteca turns 43. Tyler Rex and Manabu Inoue turn 40. Chance Prophet and Cassandra turn 39. Shinya Ishikawa, 36. Darren Young, 35. Larry Dallas, 34. Alexander Wolf, 32. Samia Singh, Cameron, and Sienna turn 31. And Andre Cianalmas turns 29. Notable debuts this week in history. John Cena debuted in 1999, Jack Gallagher in 06, and Alex Riley in 07. And finally, notable deaths this week, those who passed away this week in wrestling history. Bob Geigel died at age 90. Rocky Tamayo at 86. Edouard Carpentier at 84. Joe Dusek at 81. Huracan Ramirez died at age 80. Sputnik Monroe at 77. Doug Gilbert, 76. Tokyo Joe at 75. Hans Schwartz Jr. died at 74. Septembre Negro died at 73. Hogan Wharton, Tom Renesto, and Moose Cholak died at 72. Jerry Meeker at 71. Chief Thundercloud at 69. Boo Bromel at 65. Evan the Strangler Lewis at 59. Roland Alexander and Sammy Hall died at age 59. Gene Anderson, 58. Yoshino Suki, Hayashi, and Little Boy Blue died at age 57. Gene Anderson, 52. Brad Armstrong, 51. Bobo Bronson at 45. Scott Bazo at 39. Adam Firestorm at 32. Quick Draw Rick McGraw and Joe Costello died at age 30. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Week in Wrestling History. Follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD. The website, DonTony.com. Email me, DonTony, at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC Show. And as always, if you like what we do, want to help keep these shows free for everyone, help us keep the bills paid, keep the lights on, check out our Patreon page, Patreon.com slash DonTony. You have hundreds of hours of Patreon-exclusive shows there. Breakfast Soup, hosted by yours truly, and Mish of Wrestling Soup. If everybody had always wanted a Kevin Castle solo show, he has a show there, Castle Chronicles, and hundreds of hours of exclusive content. We have giveaways, contests, 
retro episodes of the Mass Maniac Show, lost episodes of the Minority Report, ad-free episodes of DTKC and Breakfast with Blasi, blah, 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 has returned and is exclusive on Patreon, and a lot more. Five bucks gets you everything. Can't go wrong. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Everyone be well. I will return next week with episode 45, This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Ciao. I'm enrolling in Medicare soon, and it had me a little confused. Then I found MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier. My choice, my Medicare, MyHealthPolicy.com. New to Medicare? Go to MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, you can compare plans from some of the nation's top insurers. Start now to find a plan and apply online. MyHealthPolicy.com makes it easy to find a Medicare Advantage plan in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. My decision, my Medicare. MyHealthPolicy.com.